Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to another edition of Archivist Bets on Sexy Witches, a podcast from the Geek Girls perspective, and I am the head huntress. And yeah, normally we're haunting horror here, and we're talking horror and other fun science fiction-y media conventions. Tonight, we're going to just throw all that away for a night. We're not, well, not all away. We have something really awesome at the back half of this show tonight, but first, We've been, we're going to do a sexy, our first sexy witch Ralph Robin of the year, I think. I'm pretty sure, not counting our uh, countdown for the best films that we do every premiere. But we are going to talk about a genre that was original fandom. And when I mean original, original fandom, our grandparents, our parents, they were <laughs> all fans of this. And it might be a fandom that is dying overall, but I want to say no. It's not what you tell, as great Roger Ebert said. It's how you tell it. So we're going to enjoy Western tonight. Let's put all the sci-fi trappings away, all the slasher villains, and talk about a good old-fashioned violent shoot-em-ups and, and cliches and... and Native American tropes that shouldn't exist, and some that do. Uh, we're going to talk about our favorite Westerns, old and new. So, first of all, we don't have a lot of time, so I'm just going to bring straight on my sexy witches who are on the line with me. I just bring them right on. First on first, though, I'm going to bring on my correspondent from the Los Angeles area, my cousin, my partner in crime at San Diego Comic-Con, 2019, also known as San Diego Comic-Con 50, and we are going to go to the Hall H show, like I said, and see the Game of Thrones final, was I not Ryan, Aaron Cogan, right about that all along, welcome to the show, my cousin Aaron Cogan, how you doing? Howdy, fellow hoople heads, I'm doing well, how are you? I am just doing a little, like, uh, superiority I was right dance all along I've been saying they're gonna hold a final Game of Thrones and everyone's like no even the SBC so podcast said no 
I don't care. I'm there. It's on Sunday. They scheduled it for Sunday. All right. So that means we can get in. No problem. If it's the Hall H on Sunday, we are in like Flynn. That's all I have to say. So, but welcome to the show. We're not talking about that today. We we're going to do that a couple weeks from now. Only three more weeks till we have our preview show, Aaron. Woo! Isn't that amazing? Yeah, we're almost there. We're go time. First, first summer preview. Oh my God, we got so much to talk about. We're gonna talk about westerns, though. Let me get back to you. So, welcome to the show. All right. Thank you. Not too far from you is my new one of my new sexy witch co-hosts. But this has been. She's now. We are officially on our 99th episode today, ladies and gentle witches. So please welcome to the show. My enchantress of Nevermore, Raven Jasper Hawk. How you are? How you doing? You're on with the sexy witches. I'm doing super sexy right now. Um, oh, but I am wearing pants, so that's kind of sad. <laughs> um, I am wearing fuzzy duds today, which I know is embarrassing, but I am wearing my archer shirt, so I've got some right. representation happening. So that's good. I've been watching Archer 99, as you know, uh, but um. Real quick, we're going to get back to you in just a moment because I do want you to give us like five minutes on the Tony Awards and Hades Town, girl. Mm. I kind of called it. I said it was going to win. Yep, yep. You were hoping for the other one, but it did. The rumors That's were correct. <laughs> Once again, I'm two for two tonight. Anyway, I'll be right back. <laughs> All right. And closer to home and on, and been with me since season one is my sexy porn witch. Please welcome to the show, sexy porn witch, Erin Marie. How are you doing? Quite well this evening. How about yourself? I am so glad. And you're feeling better? Everything's doing all right? Everything's talked great. much lately. Okay. <laughs> yeah. We haven't had a chance to talk okay. a lot lately. Good. good, good. I'm glad things are good. And um, thank you for being on tonight. And uh, we're going to get back to you in just a minute because we got a lot of ground to cover tonight. we got one more person on the line. Please welcome to the show my repo nerd correspondent and co-host, actually. Not correspondent. I'm sorry. That is so embarrassing. Co-host. Repo nerd co-host. <laughs> Please welcome to the show and, and sexy witches correspondent. See, that's better. <coughs> From Charleston, West Virginia, Steve Wandling. How are you doing, sir? You're on with the sexy witches. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. I'm doing fantastic. How are you? Oh, uh, well, I, I messed your intro up a little bit, but I did. We're doing well. So uh, I'm a little bit. Of, it's okay. I've been cold. <sighs> oh, my God. I've been so sick this last week. I've had, I had, I had a relapse of norovirus today or last yeah. night. So oh, I've no. been. Yeah. Like there, and it was in my household last week, and now it's here again, and I've got it. I took, I've oh. had missed, I've missed four days of work in the last two weeks oh god not counting doctor's appointments i already had scheduled i mean it's been that bad but anyway i'm here we're gonna talk western i'll make my feel better so we're all here uh but before we talk about western i want to throw the mic to my enchantress and nevermore because the tonys were on last night um or two nights ago and uh i would like and 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 the resident theater geek Wanted you to give a quick review of how you feel about the wins of Hades Town and especially a couple of major wins getting for the first time, which was kind of a big deal. Uh, mm-hmm. My quick opinion was I didn't get to see much of it, but it felt more 
old school and they were looking more at themselves as as Broadway stars and they were like giving out more because a lot of years, not counting the year Hamilton came out, they've been giving it to like Glenn Coast and all these like really big stars. Right. This year it wasn't like that. Yeah, that's true. I did like that aspect of it. Um, I think the best way I can put it is that the, the show was great, but you wouldn't know it because the shows that were nominated aren't that great. <laughs> so when they do yes. like live performances, <laughs> it, it felt like like they did a Beetlejuice song and some of the lyrics are welcome to a show about death. And I hate it when people tell me I'm at a show unless it's ironic or like super hilarious. And this was neither. Like, I know I'm at a show. I paid $200 to be here. Um, so that was annoying. And it also just felt like a corporate version of Beetlejuice that I was seeing, like as if sponsored by Walmart. Uh, it, there was just something... It, you know, Britain has like that dinginess that's also beautiful, and this just was like someone playing with spray paint and sharp lines. But and um, they, they care, yeah, they care about the color scheme and not the the morose that created it in the first place. That's what correct. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there was a live performance from Hades Town, uh, which I thought looked pretty sweet and even though it's an old Greek myth that they're doing um, you know it's a story that's still around and has been retold many many times uh, this doesn't bother me as much as something like Tootsie where you know they're, they're uh, workshopping Back to the Future the musical in West End right now um, and oh. it's just like oh great it's going overseas now this concept mm. of just putting movies a generation may not have seen into a stage version. So maybe their parents who have nostalgia will take their kids to it. That's kind of what was gripping all over the show. It, that mm-hmm. is a problem with all entertainment though right now. That's why we're getting so yeah, many definitely. remakes. Because they're trying yeah. to market on us, bringing our kids to see these films. But the problem is they're not realizing is that I'm showing my kids those films in my house. Why would exactly. I go see the shitty remake? I mean, I'm sorry. It does right. Fall. But on a positive well, note, um, go ahead. They go ahead. do that with, I oh, was going to say, they okay. do that with cartoons, too, because, you know, Strawberry Shortcake right. and My Little Poopy yeah. and, yeah, all of those came back, and it was completely working on our nostalgia, because I remember when I was, you know, Santa Claus tossing, and I saw Strawberry Shortcake dolls, I was like, yep. <laughs> Well, that's why I don't like nostalgia. I think nostalgia is 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 a way of taking good memories and preying on your weaknesses. You know, and I really have never liked what people do with nostalgia. You know, there's one thing to recreate something and really kind of nail it and really like set a piece. Like like Stranger Things is nostalgic, but it's nostalgic in the right ways. Like they get it right. It feels authentic. They don't feel like they're pandering to us. You know, right. and a lot or of these things are like they're panning. <laughs> but I will say something about Hades Town is that one of I forget his name. I can't I keep looking him up, and I, I lost the notes. Uh, one of the actors, that one uh, feature actor in in musical in Hades Town, Andre he's from, he's Shields. A, yes, he is seventy eight years old, and he's from our town. He's from Baltimore. Represent. So, uh, you know, congratulations to that. A lot of people are giving, uh, I'm sorry, I don't know these names. That's why I have you do this. What's the name of the woman that won in the wheelchair? She got a lot of attention. Oh, Allie Stryker. 
Yeah, Ali Stryker. She's Stryker. The Go first ahead. person, not just actress, yeah. not not specific yeah. kind of actress. The first person in a wheelchair to ever win a Tony. That's crazy. Uh, so that's, that's super crazy. exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, she and, and, she was so sweet with okay. a cute speech dedicating it to disabled kids or anyone with a limitation that wants themselves represented in the arts, here you are. And it was real. I welled up. It was really sweet. I, I just thought it was really neat that, you know, both the, those were the, the, those two people were, they were kind of amazing that they won. And it, you know, it was one of those shaky moments. It was like, yeah, you know, some, right. you know, Tony's are doing what the Oscars should be doing. That right. Yeah. You know, yeah, um, I agree with that. Now we just get good. Get we got to get better musicals in the theaters, Raven. That's the problem. Because told you, I'm working been up on to Broadway. It. It's 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 it is a desert up there. There's not much I yeah. would go. Woo! I really want to see. There's nothing I'd pay full price for. Uh, and right. um, you know, there's only a few things that I would pay half price for right now. And well, Beetlejuice is not on that list. Yeah, and here's how they do it too. Before they even put it on Broadway, they're workshopping it in smaller cities. So, like, they workshopped a musical version of Somewhere in Time in Portland at the Equity Theater there because it's much cheaper to produce. And then they use those numbers to see if it's worth moving to New York. So a lot of stuff that's original doesn't even have a chance to get to the state. Uh, you know, uh, I, like I said, I slightly blame Hamilton for this because a lot of people shuttered their their work when it, that came out, when they realized, oh, my God, Game Chamber. But it's at over. the same time... <laughs> I, yeah, I, I still, it encourages me because I think in like, it's going to be, like I said, five, I said this before, I think five years, we're going to see a, re, a truly great musical in five years. Like, like I'm one waiting. that's going to knock our thoughts off and we'll just have to wait for it. But, you know, yeah. meanwhile, I'm still going to support as much stage as I possible. And when I'm up in the show, mm-hmm. always, like I said, I'll always go to Duffy Square and check the half price ticket. Booth, yes. Just to see. Yes. Indeed. Always. <laughs> It is the yep. best. I saw, the first time I was in New York, thanks to the half price tickets ticket booth, I got eight dollars standing room only tickets to cats at the Winter Garden. Um, hey. It was great because during, I could eat there because I wasn't technically in the house. I was behind the last row and I had a shelf so I could just <laughs> eat and drink the whole time, go pee whenever I want. And then during intermission, <laughs> I just sat there while everyone else was in all these long lines complaining to each other. It was wonderful. That sounds fun. That actually sounds a lot of fun. Uh, you know, uh, my first musical was uh, it, on Broadway was uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde by Stephen Schwartz. So That's my favorite. Which was, you really, it was good. Yeah. The women in that were so good. That was actually the one thing is all the women in that particular yeah. production just kind of blew my mind. So that was yeah. cool. But uh, we, could, we yeah. could talk. We'll talk musicals again. Last year, as Erin Marie can vouch, we did our musical round robin, but maybe we'll have a part two Dang. now that you're back and we have a hardcore deep dive. You'll get, get a chance to give your list because I do want to hear what your favorite music, movie musical list of all time is at some point. Oh, sweet. Maybe, I'll do a, maybe I'll do a special repo nerds just for you. Oh, I love it. 
<laughs> cool. But first, it's time 15, and I want to give us enough time to uh, do this sexy witch round robin because at 10:30 I have a guest calling in. I am so excited for. So, folks, if you don't want to hear about the westerns, though, I highly recommend if you're listening, stay on for the westerns. It's going to be a fun talk, I hope. Uh, but at 10:30, I have uh, Mar- Michael uh, Rothman, and he is the editor of chief of Consequence of Sound.net, which is one of the best. And I'm serious. Best websites for music on the web right now. I love them, but they also dabble in movies sometimes if you go on their website. And uh, a couple of weeks back, right around the time Pet Cemetery came out, he and his group collaborated and created a list of every single Stephen King adaptation that existed. That is a long list. <laughs> so he's going to come on. And talk about Dark Tower a little bit. I'm sure I'm going to mention Bushwick Bill and Dr. John a little bit to him, just because he is into music usually. But we're mostly going to talk about Stephen King adaptations and getting that list together and what his favorites are. And that'll start our summer of Stephen, building up to the Halloween Horror Movie Marathon Madness of the King and the Masters in October, folks. So we are going to go right into our research for the madness. So it's upon us already. At least it's stirring. <laughs> I'm pretty. The madness is stirring. Right. So, all right. So let's talk about westerns. Let's see. Ooh. Let's talk about westerns. What do you think? Mm. Yeehaw. So this sexy witch round robin has basic rules, and if you listen to the show, you pretty much know them. We have all made a, oh, usually, sometimes people cheat, that's part okay, um, a list of 10 <laughs> westerns we want to talk about tonight. And they are ranked, though, these ranks are subjective, but it is our favorite overall. You're, we're going to read the top five on air. And in a, in a round robin, five rotating down to one. Now, for example, if someone had a, a film and talked about it at number five, but they had a film at number three and it's the same film, they are allowed to go to their list from six to ten and talk about one of those films instead. Or they can talk about their two honorable mentions. Now, for the genre itself, the rules were it had to be a Western of some kind. It could be a Western hybrid like Western horror, Western sci-fi, or something, or Western parody like Blazing Saddles, but it could not be something like um, Outland or Skinwalkers, some or Near Dark, something that is technically Western influenced but aren't Westerns, though they can be used in the honorable mention. So if they really want to talk about it, they can talk about it in the honorable mention. So you can have either one of your uh, six or ten of your honorable mentions. Can, you can talk pretty much about anything you want at that point. Uh, so uh, that's, that was a really terrible way of describing it tonight, but that's basically how it works. Uh, and um, I made stricter rules for myself. I actually did not allow any musicals, any parodies, any science fiction or horror on my list. So you will not see on my list Blazing Saddles. Oh, I know. I love Blazing Saddles. It's one of my favorite films of all time. It is not on my list. You will not see Westworld on my list. You will not see, um, you know, let's see what I'm trying to think. I have one surprise, though, in the honorable mentions. We'll talk about it later. So hopefully I, I'm going to fully bring it up. 
and TV is completely allowed because some of the best Westerns ever were on television. Matter of fact, in our parents' generation, every night of the week at prime time, there would be a Western on every time. And there was only a couple of channels in those days. You'd flip the channels and there would be like three of them with Westerns on. So, uh, you know, so it's all, all very subjective, but let's go ahead and get started. And I'm going to start with Erin Marie. You go first. She's going to have the most avant-garde list because she's, Westerns are her least favorite. So let's go for her first. <laughs> um, at number five, I think I have to go with Lonesome Dove. Hmm. Ah, good, good choice. Now tell people about Lonesome Dove. I just remember it being one of those miniseries that my mom would watch all the time on TV, and Robert Duvall was just spectacular. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. you know, it, it's it's a nostalgic choice because I remember all of these miniseries as being on television when I was younger, and that was one of the big ones that she watched. It was Lonesome Dove and Shogun <laughs> and uh, Thornbirds, of course. But but Lonesome Dove has that nostalgic love for me. Well, it is pretty good. I mean, it, it's got a great cast. You got Robert Duvall and Tommy Lee Jones. And uh, rest in peace. What came through the pipe this afternoon was uh, Billy Whiteless, who wrote the screenplay, right. died um, today. Oh. So rest in peace, Bill Whitecliffe. Uh, he also wrote um, The Perfect Storm. So he worked with... He's he's written some really amazing screenplays, even if the movies weren't so great. Uh, But um, so yeah, I like Lonesome Dove too. I I remember watching it with my father. We watched the whole thing. I watched it a couple of times actually, and it's not a a short miniseries. It's quite long. Uh, So uh, I I remember when it debuted um, in '85. It was '89. '89. Yeah, I saw it when it came out in '89 with my father. Uh, Anybody else had it on their list? Yeah, no, it, it is it. my honorable mention. Ah, so we have one honorable mention. So yep. that's it. And I it need to see it. For, yeah. It was just the it, same there, for me, though, with um, nostalgia when I was a kid. I have a lot of fond memories of it. And if you go into uh, um, the Larry McMurtry series of books, and I think that they did make other miniseries out of some of those the Gus and Call adventures at other points in their life, but none of them are good as Lonesome Dove, but uh, that was just big for me as a kid as well. I was probably five or six, and uh, that was just a big miniseries event, and I remember the, my uh, just watching with my mom and dad, and, and they had the big box it was like a poor VHS set of it. Yeah, I think it is like six hours long, you know. But yeah, it yeah. Is, I do, I do like it. So yeah, it was my honorable mention. Excellent. So I, I knew, I knew one of you would probably have Lonesome Dove. So I actually, or so I actually do not have it on my list. But I do give a shout out. It'd probably be in my top twenty somewhere. Uh, I tend to lean when it comes to my Western miniseries towards the Sam Elliott, Louis L'Amour's miniseries that came out approximately the same time, Conig, uh, Conager, and a few others. But, I mean, you can't get more solid than Lonesome Dove when it comes to uh, television Western. So, bravo. Good start, Erin Marie. So, um, yeah, good choice. All right. Let's go over. Let's see. <laughs> Spinning the sexy witch round, Robin, and it's Raven's turn. <laughs> Raven, number five. 
My number five is not on your list. It's Blazing Saddles. Ah, I knew you'd oh. would. That's another reason why it wasn't on my list. I was pretty sure someone would have it. Uh, okay, so <laughs> it's actually more of a parody than a Western, but why do you have it yes. on your list? Anything that opens with Cole Porter, I'm already sold. And then you've got Gene Wilder, who is and has been, even though he's passed away, my famous husband since I was about eight. Um, and then beyond that, just anything Mel Brooks is the best. There's, there, I mean, like, what's not to like? What's not to like? It's really funny. <laughs> it, it, it may Madeline be one Kahn. of my favorite comedies of all time. Not just movies. Like, like, like yeah. best comedy of all time. Uh the cast is amazing. Madeline Kahn, I can't even believe how, you, you know, she's only in her early, early 20s in that movie. And, and it always blows my mind that she's that young. You know, <laughs> I, 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 you know it's just like, <clears throat> and it's uncompromising. Like someone wrote an article today that there's just no way they would be able to write that screenplay and get it through censor today. Oh, no, no way. way. No way. <laughs> Not a chance. Not a chance. <laughs> I've even watched, wrote, seen millennials write articles about it and missed the point completely of Blazing Saddles. They're like, well, all the language trumps any message they have to say. And I'm like, well, then you're not really paying attention, are you? Uh, but, you know, I, I, naysayers aside, I still love this movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it stands well, the test of time for me. Well, it also can't lose because, I mean... It loves the tropes it's making fun of. Do you understand mm-hmm. what I'm saying? It's yeah. not. It's yeah. not. It's not talking. It's not punching downward at the genre. It's punching down at no. downward at racism. Absolutely, it's yes. punching down at racism. Uh, but it's not punching down at the genre, even to the point that they got Frankie Lane to do the score, right? He turned dark night into day. He made. Uh, Frankie Lane will come. You know back the famous story the about. About Frankie doing that, right? Yes, but let's hold it off for one of my choices later because I'm going to compare it to something. Okay? Okay. I got I got you on that one, Aaron. I'll let you even talk about it, but let's talk about it at that time because I, I do want to no, talk just, about Frankie Lane. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. You, you know exactly what I'm going to say, so yeah. Oh, I, I know that story quite well. Absolutely. It's a great story. Sure. That's why I'm like, just, I'm so glad. I, I was just going to say one thing, though. One, one yeah. quick thing. Um, when it's not parodying, it's satirizing with such love. Um, Mm -hmm. Watching um, Deadwood and trying to understand some of the actors, not everyone's got really good elocution, I couldn't help but think about the frontier gibberish scene. And it made (laughs) me laugh. (laughs) That's beautiful. Whatever. There's it's what movie? It's actually parodying a very specific movie, and I can't think of it right now. It's uh, about really? a gunman. Oh, High Noon! High Noon! That scene is actually parodying High Noon, if I remember right, because oh. there's a scene where he brings the entire family, and they're all named Mitchell, right? And and and, and Blazing Saddles yeah. all in Johnson, right? And they're all named Mitchell, and yeah. and they go, he's coming into town on the train at High Noon. This bit, you know, scary gunfighter, and that's what he. That's that scene is totally checking that. I, I, it's 
you know, it, clearly Mel Brooks did his homework when he was uh, writing the screenplay right, yeah. for it. I mean, he really was. Well, that's, uh, that's the other thing. Ahead. I don't know that we can fully, I mean, you touched on it in your introduction beautifully, but sitting here in 2019, I don't think we can fully grasp how just steeped and marinated our culture was in Westerns from the jump. Right. I mean, I, I was reading one article about how uh, the Westerns gained such notoriety in the penny, the equivalent of penny dreadfuls for Americans uh, because it was stockyard workers and industrial factory workers who were just, you know, basically enslaved who would pick up these things and devour them and see them as the perfect example of freedom. And they would mythologize these things way past what they really were. But then you travel down a little bit and you get into the earliest cinema and it's Westerns that Americans are producing. And then you get into TV and again, earliest TV, it's all freaking Westerns. And it's no, it's not by accident that Europeans, even to this fucking day, think of America as a cowboy nation. When you think of um, Hans Gruber calling him a cowboy and all that, that's kind of how we're seen all over the globe. And Uh, and the West is not all of America by any stretch of the imagination, but you travel anywhere and that's what they think. Well, that's our myth. That was the myth we were marketing for most of our early cinema careers. That or happy musicals where everyone's dancing and kicking their legs above their heads, right? You know, those were the things we were exporting to Europe. We still, you know, did quite a bit of that for a long time, but we were also producing it for ourselves. And that's the problem with Western is that a lot of it is cliche and it's not real because it's it, it it is a perceived notion of what the west was like and not actually what the rest really was you know there there is right. a lot of there's a there's a few exceptions to that that really tried to make it feel as gritty as possible like i just watched the wild bunch for the first time and he's really trying to show how like rough it was to live there's a couple of my choices on here i have polished choices and gritty choices and arty choices on my list um, but so, you know, it, there's a fine line. Blazing Saddles is really making fun of those glossy Hollywood musicals with Audie Murphy, um, Westerns with Audie Murphy and Randolph Scott. They even mention Randolph Scott in the movie. <laughs> you know, you would do it for Randolph Scott, you know, <laughs> so, uh, you know, <laughs> you know. You know, they're right. He would, they would have totally done it for Randolph Scott. Uh, you know, yep. so, but you know, you know, and I actually am really surprised. I do not have an Audie Murphy film on my list. Who's my favorite single Western actor, but not his films aren't mm. that great. He's just awesome. Mm. I actually love Audie Murphy. I love watching everything he's in. And, you know, of course he's buried in Arlington cemetery. I go visit his grave quite a bit. Um, so uh, Blazing Saddles. We could actually spend an entire episode talking about Blazing Saddles because there's a lot. Easily, going on. sure could. Easily. Oh my god. And you know, and 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 what's his name? Harvey Corman. It's probably my yes. favorite thing he's oh ever done. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, I mean, <laughs> wow. I, I to That's this close day, call I for always me. go. I always go. That's Headley. <laughs> you know, that's Headley. <laughs> I always, you know, Headley Lamar. Uh, it's funny because that joke is so dated now because how many people actually know who Hedy Lamar was in the first place? Right. I mean, right. we, we do because we yeah. all know customers, but, you know. Right. Uh, <clears throat> all right. So um, 
Raven. That was wonderful. We'll move on to let's make it Steve or Aaron. Which one do you want to go next? Go ahead, sir. All right, Aaron, right. you oh, go. Uh, yep. And my then number we'll, five choice. Yeah, yeah. My number five choice is uh, a classic of the genre. It's Shane. Uh, ah, good had, choice. Good uh, choice. I, I had a, a chance to see it actually, I believe, uh, during the madness as kind of a palate cleanser. You know, I, I just flipping channels really late at night and I got sucked in immediately. And, you know, I, I, I've already seen it twice at least, <laughs> but, you know, third time or fourth or whatever going through, it's just beautiful. And uh, it, it's, it's almost a Western tone poem. And everyone's writ. The characters are all writ large, you know, and it just works on so many levels. But but primal colors for the whole thing, you know. There's not a lot of subtlety. There's not a lot of nuance, and you don't need it. <laughs> it works perfectly the way it is. And that was my my family when it comes. There's a few films that they all shared as favorite films and Shane was one of those things when Shane is on and the whole family just covers in front of the television and watched it. Uh, you know, that was, you right know, all, all, all generations were all there watching Shane. So I get that completely. Um, and you know, Alan Ladd. Oh, yeah. Where is it? Where is it on you? On yours, Steve? I had it a little bit further down, so I don't didn't. I just wanted to mention that it was on mine, but I have it right now. It seems a little too far down at eight, but uh, that's where I put it when I read the list. Excellent. Mm. Well, no, you're you're totally allowed to see if you have it on your list to rank it. You know, you have it at number eight, so that's awesome. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, no, I don't have it on my list, but that's not that I don't validate completely being on your list. I think at some point I might read this list. My list is more about things I wanted to talk about more than actually my favorites overall. But this one, I mean, you had Jack Palance and Alan Ladd, and yeah. you know, it was really, really swinging yes. good. And it won the and Jack Oscar. Jack kind of fucking spooky and creepy and scary. Well, isn't he always? Uh-huh. But you know, <laughs> yeah. Um, cinematography didn't it win for cinematography? I'm pretty sure it did. I'm pretty sure it won for cinematography. Yes. I'm 100% sure on that. Yes, did, I, I am right. can't imagine what would have beaten it. Yeah, uh, <laughs> not really. Uh, it, it was, <laughs> I have a, li- a, a note on Shane that says it's number 45 on AFI's Best 100 list, and it's number three on their Best Western list. So, it, oh, you know, oh, so nice. they agree with you, too. So critics agree, I guess. Nice. So, hey. All right. So, Steve Wandling, what is your number five? Number five. Mine is uh, moving, and I'm (laughs) glad that Aaron uh, talked about Shane. Um, And uh, uh, moving on. Great. (laughs) Yeah, good notes. See, my um, number five is a much more modern film from 2007. Andrew Dominic's The Assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. Um, I have always loved that film. Um, I think it's just wonderfully shot, and it. they had to sell that film to American audiences, um, I think, based on star power and make uh, – so a lot of people – it was one of those films I remember critics lavish praise on, but then audiences 
kind of had a what the hell feeling walking out of the you know kind of what did i just watch was this an art film this wasn't really a western and i think it does kind of uh flirt around with being a little bit you know more of an art film than a traditional western for sure but i also think that what you were talking about earlier with um Thank you both, Aaron and Elizabeth, both talked about uh, these being uh, versions of our myths, and I think that uh, the film shows, uh, in a way, how that very idea of, like, the mythic cowboy that Jesse James was led to his death. Yeah. I, it's, it's number six on my list. It just missed the top five. Oh, cool. uh, barely missed the top five. Uh Absolutely, one of the most beautiful films I have ever seen in my entire life, and and yeah, I, I'm a very high, I, I'm I'm full of hyperbole, but honestly, this really is one of the most beautiful films I've ever seen in my entire life. I mean, the, yeah, the the the, so the train heist, uh, even just shots of the house and how the Roger Dinkins blurs the edges of the screen and gives you those strange focal points in it. Uh, I mean, there's just uh, even Brad Pitt is just n- knocking it out of the park with his performance in this. Um, what is there not to like about this movie? It's a little sleepy. I would say that yeah. it's a little sleepy. If you're if you're a sleepy person, probably... drink you're some espresso before. <laughs> yeah, drink some espresso. Yeah. Drink a little bit of espresso hand. But I'm still amazed to this day that it lost to cinematography you know and that Richard Dinkins was nominated for this film and No Country for Old Men in 2007 and lost that out both those films lost out to There Will Be Blood which is a great film on its own right what a year for cinematography oh my god (laughs) oh my god so um you know, uh, I, I, I can't – I recommend recommend this film a lot to people because a lot of people did miss it. A lot of people saw No Country, but they didn't see this one. Uh, I don't think it got the marketing. Right. Um, and, uh, and once again, it was a little sleepy. Uh, but it is probably, I would say, one of the best modern Westerns. It is actually on my list. I would say it is the newest film on my top, my top ten. It really is. Oh, wow. So, cool. Yeah. It's great. Cool. Very, it's awesome. great. And that's Roger right. Deakins, you know, I mean, and I, you know, I think that visually speaking, I, I should have mentioned him. Andrew Dominic didn't make it, but Roger Deakins' look, without his look, I don't think that uh, the, the film would have would have been half of what it was, just based on no, the script alone. The, the star was really the, the camera in that film. Uh, but sure. that's one of the great For things sure. about Westerns is often the star of the camp is the camera. In quite a few of my movies, the, the, the camera is one of the stars. Um, and definitely for this one, or anything Joronowski did, or, you know, I, I, there's so many films I can point, and I, I don't want to blow my wad yet on, like, some of these I picked purely because of the camera work. And uh, so, all right, so it's my turn. And I do allow two ties in the top five, actually in the top ten um, on the show. Now, I cheated this year. Um, this time around. This is my first time I have a one of my ties is a three-way tie, folks. I'm going to talk about three films wow. right now. The reason why it's a three-way tie is because each of these films are telling the same story. And I love these films for different reasons almost equally. And they are. Let me give me a, start singing one of the songs. I'll tell you if you're right. 
Well, one of them has a three split. Two of them have fifth. One of them did, has. Did two you of them have play any songs. of it at the beginning of the show? At the top. No, of the show? but I'm about. I'm about to play one of the songs soon. Yes, but um, oh, well, let me give you. you go a ahead. Then I'm wrong. All right. First. No, yeah, I don't think you are. Let me see. First one is 1946. Going all the way back to 1946. John Ford's iconic. My darling Clementine, uh, which is the story nice. of Wilder at the and the and the Battle of the OK Corral in 1957. Nice. What is it? The Gunfight at the OK Corral, 1957, and that movie stars Burt Lancaster and Kirk Douglas as um, Wilder and Doc Holliday. Who is Doc Holliday? My Clementine. I always forget. Hold on. Oh, Victor Matur was um, or Matter right. was. Uh, yeah, in uh, my Gone and Calumetide. And then, of course, and I'm sure one of you guys have this on the list somewhere, 1993, oh, yeah. Tombstone, starring Tombstone. Sam Elliott, it's... Kurt Russell, Val Kilmer. Uh-huh, yeah. So, uh, you know, uh, and Bill Paxton, Powers Booth. That's All three favorite. of these films are telling the same story. All three. Now, the, the, the scripts are different. Facts get jumbled around. None of them are hundred percent historically accurate. Tombstone is probably the closest on the nose by still completely missing it. The strongest film music wise is by Darling Clementine, John Ford. Oh my god. So you have like uh the, every person in their brain when you say westerns has this weird black and white shot of Monument Valley in their brain, right? Everyone does. Oh yeah. Right. It is from this film. This is the film, even though Tombstone wasn't anywhere near Monument Valley, but, for, <laughs> but forever and ever, uh, Monument Valley and Tombstone, uh, Arizona, are interlocked because of John Ford and Maya Clement, Darling Clementine. And he reused that shot of Monument Valley, I think, in four separate movies. Uh, Gunfight is the most fun film, uh, I would say, of the three, not counting Tombstone. Tombstone's the best movie. We'll talk about Tombstone, all of us, in a moment. Uh, Gun, Gunfire the OK Corral is the most classic kind. Uh, it's my least favorite of the three, but it's a very classic kind of film. Like, everything you want in a Western is there. All the tropes are there. The music's there. And here's where, Aaron, I'm going to let you talk about Frankie Lane. The voice of the Western in, in this time period. But, of course, he got the job of Blazing Saddles because of this. Now, Aaron, tell him why that's such yes. a great story. Oh, God, it's the best. Well, you know, Mel Brooks can embellish anything. But the story goes that Frankie Lane was singing his effing heart out doing the ballad of, uh, of Black Bart. He rode a blazing, and he's giving it everything he's fucking got. And he's actually, swear to God, both hands to Jeebus, crying. He is so into the thing. And someone in the booth turns to Mel and says, you know, we, we got to tell him, <laughs> you know, tell him everything. And Mel says, don't you fucking dare. And he, he said, that's exactly what I want. That That's what I want for this. And... I, you know, Mel embellishes everything, so I don't know how true that is, but it's a great story. That's awesome. 
They they yeah, said that the, the version I heard, and it's very similar. That he w- he didn't know it was a comedy before he sang it, and he sang it perfectly in one take, right? Because he knew exactly what they wanted, clearly. Uh, yeah. And uh, and he didn't realize till after he sang it and started thinking about the lyrics that he knew something was wrong. Oh. <laughs> so, that's at least well, Frankie's you know, end of the it's story. It's one long fart joke, right? I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's a reference to the the campfire moon thing, right? Well, I guess right. so, but you know, but I mean, you can't have. I I couldn't do a top five list without having at least one, so, one movie with a Frankie Lane theme song in it. Right I mean, on. I had to have something. So and and of course my darling Clementine has oh my darling oh my darling oh my yeah. darling Clementine and it, everyone's like well that's an old song yeah but the way they sing it is the one you hear in your head once again so yeah. now let's see how many of us have Tombstone on our list and tell you tell us where it is oh yeah I number do. three four number four I have Tombstone on mine okay so what number is it Aaron Marie for you number number two. Number two, number four for Steve. Raven, do you have it? Yeah, it's number nine for me. Number nine. So, well, see, a lot of us have it on. We must really, really like it. Um, since Aaron Marie, you had it at the high. And half of why we love it is Val Kilmer is Doc Holliday, right? Well, yeah, of course. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> okay, good. Um, I'm glad we're on the same page. Oh, I mean, I the whole thing where he does the little, like, the little medicine cup and he swirls it like a gun is just so perfect. Uh, but, Erin Marie, you had a number two, so I'm going to let you follow up. Why do you love Tombstone so much? The performances are amazing. I fucking love Val Kilmer in that movie. And Kurt Russell is one of my all-time favorite actors. I love that man so much. He's just goddamn charming and everything. Um... I mean, <laughs> one of the things I remember most about it, honestly, is just the very slow motion riding of horses and the way that Val Palmer's <laughs> hips moved. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, that Hello. man is not a fun. My dad was a uh, huge fan of the Earp Broys, so we, we watched this film a lot. Um, go ahead. I just love. I just wanted to um, give a shout out to Michael Bean because uh, I loved him in anything really. But I always. Um, I mean, you know, he's. Um, it, there's a lot of um, uh, you know memorable performances in that film, but I always think his yeah. is slept on. I mean, perhaps because others are so good. But man, when, when Michael Bean and he rarely has, but when he plays a villain, and that might be the. I think that. People should cast him more, especially now that he's older as a villain, because I think he is menacing as what is it, Johnny Ringo or whatever his name is in that movie. Yeah, Johnny Ringo. Yeah. I, I really, there's there's so much good. Uh, the one thing that is great about Tombstone compared to the other two films, it actually shows pretty accurately what happened at the actual gun battle, because the gun battle kind of was. Not really planned per se. It was they kind of knew it was gonna happen. Do you know what I'm saying? It, it, you know, people followed them. Like they're like, oh shit, shit's about to go down. You know that kind of thing. <laughs> right, right. Um, so, they, yeah. so they show they show that pretty well. Um, you know, the other films they they slant on the hero heroism of the Earps 
a little heavy, you know, even, you know, even though, because there, there's good guys and bad guys, but at the same time, it's kind of supposed to be blurry. And Tombstone is good at blurring those lines a little better than the other two films. The other two films are, tell, you know, it's like what my old teacher used to sell, tell me. He goes, if you could tell the truth of the myth, tell the myth. It's going to be more interesting, uh, you know, but I don't think so. I think Tombstone is... Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. Yep. That's right. And that didn't make my list before. That is a fucking great movie. That is from. You're right. It is from. Once again, westerns coming back around. (laughs) That's right. It really is. Um, (laughs) The legend. Yep. (laughs) Talk to speak the legend. That's right. And and that's kind of you know even though all three are guilty of it in some ways, Tombstone, like I said, I think is the most closest to what really happened. To the to the Earp brothers, you know, because they they you know one of them became uh, mayor of San Francisco, which is after all that went down. Um, the guy, the the Sam Elliott character, which is like one of my dad's heroes, was not Wyatt Earp, but his brother. Uh, he thought he was a better man, <laughs> so and he might have been if you watched the movie. Um, so I just fucking love that movie. <laughs> it's just like I love there's a scene where Kurt Russell's just walking the only it's just a cutaway of him walking down a hill shooting guns at the camera. <laughs> and then they show a montage of all the people are dying around him. It's awesome. And then and and uh then these and, and even the quiet moments are great. Like at the end when Doc Holliday is dying and they're playing cards together. That scene always makes me so verklempt. Um so um all right. We'll beat Tombstone with a dead horse here. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Erin Marie. So, what is at your number four? We're moving down the list. Um, at my number four is John Wayne, The Searchers. Oh, oh good nice. choice! Yay! That's one of the last yeah, movies, it isn't it? Um, I, cool. I got shown. I got shown that movie in film appreciation class. Um, he was trying to choose something from every decade, every genre, you know, film noir, western, things like that. And The Searchers, I actually was pretty entertained, even though it was, <clears throat> like, I always find westerns, especially older westerns, extraordinarily cheesy and hard to watch. But it's something about the, the blatant racism in that movie and... uh there's a lot, a lot to unpack, honestly, in the searchers, but but I was uh, I was actually quite sucked in by more the social commentary of that one. I mean, number you want to talk about online. number six? Good choice. Anti-hero of anti-heroes. I mean, uh, you know, John Wayne is often played for the you know heroic heavy. Here, he's not a nice person at all. Like he, he he's he's the lead character, but he's not even he's almost a villain. He's really really terrible to people, especially people that aren't like him. Uh, so uh, you know, Native Americans are treated very well in the movie either. You know, um, like I said, there's some issues with this film, but yeah, I, actually I would say for a John Wayne performance, it's not my favorite, but it's in his top three best performances of all time. I would say. Uh, you know, I, yeah. I I have one much higher on the list that I think I, I actually my favorite is True Grit. Um, I'll just say it right out because it's not too. on my top. It's yeah, so uh, my favorite John Wayne performance by far, and it's the one he won the Oscar for. So there was a reason why he won that Oscar. But Searchers, Searchers is oh, up yeah. there. I mean, Searchers absolutely he could easily won an Oscar for that performance. Is that good? So and, and also Searchers has some John Ford's 
best cinematography out, you know, once again, you know, beautiful, amazing landscapes. And John Ford is taking advantage of that big time uh, with the searchers. So uh, that was a fantastic, anything else you want to say about Erin Marie before we move on to the next one? No, I'm good. (laughs) All right. So that was awesome. Searchers. Okay. So John Ford has come up twice now. Has John, John Wayne's come up once so far, right? So we'll keep an eye on what comes up. Um, <laughs> Sam Elliott's already come up twice, uh, <laughs> which <Yep>. is awesome, because <laughs> Sam Elliott's awesome. Uh, so, okay, so Raven, you're yes. up, number four. Hi. <laughs> My number four is the TV series of Westworld. Um, And it probably wouldn't be my number four had I not seen the 1973 Westworld, (laughs) but because I have, um, it's always held that whole, the whole universe of Westworld has always held a special place in my heart. And then what a cast, holy crap, Ed Harris, Anthony Hopkins, uh, James Marsden, they're all Man, I could just watch them read the phone book, really, and I would be happy. Um, <laughs> I think maybe um, the pilot, well, I could tell which monologues were used for their audition. Like, <laughs> it was kind of, I don't, it was, uh, it had an agenda that I already had figured out before it started. And then as we get going, I'm really liking it more and more. Nice. Thanks. Did Liz drop? <laughs> Maybe. Am I in a void? Westworld comp- I don't know. I don't, we may have lost someone, but I was just thinking about Westworld, the musical cues in it, how much uh, I think that, that it does do well. I had some problems with the second yeah. season, uh, and I don't have that connection with the first film. Um, I've seen it, but I only saw it to go back and watch. Uh, but I, I went back after the show out of interest right um yeah so i don't have that uh you know i don't have the connection to it but the first season of the show i thought was as entertaining as anything else that hbo had put on the air in especially yeah. the past but then uh, I, I, the first I, I, season I, is well executed yeah yeah, yeah but the the first are, they do really, really good. do it yeah. for me but that was um, just the second one just kind of stuck. But the third season trailer with, that I saw, I don't know if you saw that, that's dropped. Mm-hmm. I didn't know it wasn't coming out till next fall, but um, I'm still alive, knock on wood. <laughs> but it looks interesting. <laughs> like, I, I, it hooked me again. Yeah. Right. I'm, I'm I, very looking forward to it. I was a little disappointed in season two. I think it lost its way in some points. However, there was moments in season two which were absolutely brilliant. And there was that one standalone episode when the Native American, when they talked about how he woke himself up. That was great. For the first that was such an amazing oh, story. And, yeah. 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 So, so there was a lot of good in season two, but yeah, overall, I didn't love it as much. Now, I did have some. I never actually seen Future World, the the sequel to Westworld, the movie, oh. but I've never yeah, actually I've seen never it. Heard of it. Oh. oh yeah, there's totally Future World, the sequel, uh, um, which is That's the name vaguely of my the second. Video store. 
<laughs> uh, the the sequel, the the second series, kind of hints at it in 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 places um, about Future World. It kind of loosely loosely based on the plot of the second film, uh, but it it's um, but I I do love the first movie quite a bit, and and not not that it's a great film, but first of all, there's some really graphic violence in it that's actually quite yeah. brilliant towards the end of the film, yeah. um, and yeah. it's also it has the first science fiction. Com- uh, it is, and it's documented as having the first science fiction concept of virus, computer virus. Uh, they, at that point, they, they didn't even realize computer viruses were real. They were like, but now we know that other computers can infect other computers. We didn't know that at the time. Uh, you know, awesome. they, computers were a relatively new concept in 73. So, you know, the movie is as old as I am, after all. Oh, my God, let's tell you how old I am. Uh, <laughs> so... Um, <laughs> Michael Crichton for you, you know. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. He he he's not always on point directed? with his science. No, 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 not at all. Uh-huh. I think oh, okay. I, I just knew he directed that, but I don't know anything else that he ever directed out of his own adaptation. I actually don't know that answer, to be honest with you. Uh, I, can I don't find either. Out in I don't. Either. <laughs> kind of starts and ends with Jurassic Park and Westworld. I remember Congo, which is really uh, bad, but <laughs> I do remember that. Well, Congo, has, Congo, Congo gets a pass because it has Bruce Campbell in it. So <laughs> Wait, <laughs> does that? I don't even remember Bruce Campbell. I was Bruce 10, Campbell's so in it. I don't even remember that. He's totally in it. He's in it for a hot second. Yeah. Like, not very long. Yeah. So, <laughs> Michael I remember Ernie Hudson. And not, Ernie Hudson? I don't even remember, I do remember Ernie, Ernie Hudson. Hudson right? Congo. Yeah. He was like the guy they yeah. hooked up with once they got there to show them to the jungle. I always, I, I always think about that. There's this evil white gorilla monkeys in it. <laughs> yeah, they scared me. They, those actually scared. <laughs> 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 okay, well that's that, that's an adventure film. We're not doing round robin adventure movies because of course all of us would okay. have. Um, if I'll tell you right now, my number one adventure film of all time is Raiders of the Lost Ark. Who I wouldn't it be? Everyone Ish. should have that number one on their list. Right. right? So, all right. So let's get that away right now. All right, so Raven had Westworld, which is our first. Well, okay, so now Raven's had two hybrids on her list. She hasn't had a pure Western on her list yet. So we're off to see if she actually has a pure Western on her list. Uh, so, all right, Mr. Aaron Kogan, you are at number four. Number four, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Nice. Ah, raindrops keep falling on my head. Okay, go ahead. Can I tell you, one of the most distracting things when I first saw it was that soundtrack and the... I didn't even use any of it because I find the soundtrack distracting. Oh, my God. And now now that I expect it, I'm okay with it, but it's still like, what the hell, man? But um, if, if I had to, you know, describe 60s cinema... I would say The Graduate and Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid yeah, pretty good. much explain American cinema, at least to me. You may, you may be right. The Graduate for the sure. Movie. I think <laughs> Butch Cassidy's um, – that's my number one, by the way. But uh, yes, I, I right think on. maybe – it's the most rewatchable film of all time, in my opinion. I can – it's just in, – in, it may be my favorite movie. It's definitely my comfort 
film from kid like uh, childhood i still have my vhs copy of it even though i've bought every release <laughs> of it i right on right on air and it's just i it's just one of those movies you know i and i thought about maybe leaving it off just because you know uh, but it seems but it's it, i couldn't because i i i i'm sure like every like you man i know every, i know that movie beat by beat pulse i love that silent <laughs> opening and then you have it's so everything i every time at the end i want him to get out of there alive for you know somehow just uh, in Catherine Ross. Uh, yeah man great pick I'm so glad you mentioned the beats because that's the brilliance of this. Just like Jaws is a brilliant horror film for the beats and the acting, Butch mm-hmm. and, and it's not a typical horror. Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid is definitely not a typical Western, but it's brilliant for the beats and the writing and the acting. Mm-hmm. And there are so many freaking good quotable lines from this movie. Well, oh, and, gosh, and yeah. but, but that's because William Goldman wrote the friggin' screenplay for Butch Cassidy and the Sundance right? Kid, and he won right? the Oscar for it. So, I mean, it is one of the best and, screenplays. It, it, everyone thinks that it is such so a good. Fucking emotional ride. I, I mean, if uh, you're invested in the characters, if you're not just you know letting it wash over you, if you're in the movie and you're with these guys, it's a fucking ride. I also want to give a shout out to Paul Newman and Robert Redford for doing their own stunts in the film, and they do some pretty serious oh, yeah. stunts in that movie. Yeah, uh, I mean, they off they a cliff and shit. Shit. <laughs> I actually know where they jumped in the. Uh, no way. You damn fool! The fall probably kill us. I know exactly where that is. I did a, a summer of Boswell and melodrama right near there. It's in Durango, well, it, uh, Colorado. And the film is supposed to take place in Hole in the Wall, right? Is that right? If I remember right, oh, yeah. I, it's been a long time yeah. since yeah. I've seen it. Yeah, so it, it, you know, so the location in itself is kind of iconic, you know. So it, there's just yep. so much about it that is good, and you know, I, yeah, no, Burke Bacharach's score is a little distracting, but at the, once again, like you said, it's kind of a product of its time. Right, it, it, mm-hmm. it, it's, it it's not a it's not a western looking back at westerns. It's a western created in the sixties. <laughs> so well is. said. Yeah, it seems like such yeah. a pop yeah. like like you said a pop culture film. Like I that's why I I debated over it because it does it it is you know obviously like you said a western, but I think it was going for more a obviously with you know a pop culture kind of feel. It's it's a milestone. Yeah, milestone and we have are a touchstone it. for the generation. Sure, and, absolutely. And in ASI, they say they have it at number seven as the best westerns of all time. Nice. Just so you know. Nice, nice. Ah, uh, we were making those to you. Okay, cool. All right, so we got that was Aaron Cogan, and you got to talk a bit about Butch Cassidy because it was number one for you, Steve. What is your number? We're at number four for you. Go ahead. Oh gosh, uh, my list is just getting ripped to shreds here. Uh, number four was originally <laughs> Tombstone, um, so I'm just going to pick a movie that I want to talk about, um, which yep. is The Proposition. Uh, the nice. proposition was uh, yeah another yeah another modern one um, on my list. Australian and, uh, too. I, 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 absolutely yeah, and uh, I think it's just uh, um, and, and a lot of these more um, modern films come down to. I think a lot of movies for me uh, come down. I'm a sucker for aesthetic. 
aesthetics and, and um, I'm sure, you know, we all are as movie fans, but I've been accused of liking more than one empty headed film that looks pretty, but um, <laughs> I don't, this isn't the case. The proposition is a pretty, pretty ugly looking film in a lot of ways, but um, in a, you know, in a beautiful way, the story's very, uh, you want to talk about like um, kind of peck and paw ugly side of life. It's very, um, down in the in the grid of things, kind of it, and I think it, I think uh, it's one of those collaborations where, well, I'm sorry, one of those films where um, Nick Cave and Warren Ellis did the music for it, which adds this whole kind of Southern Gothic hinge to it. And I think where Aussies do anything, as we were talking, you know, with Brian Trenchard Smith recently, they they always put their own little taste of madness on whatever there is to it, which I think is there. So yeah, Proposition was number nine on mine, so. I'll, I'll mention it because um, Tombstone's been talked about already. And that's a good one because I wanted to get – I was thinking that one of us might have Quigley down under on our list, but Australian Western is its whole separate genre. Like there's an entire set of uh, Australian-based Western-style films. And what the biggest one I would probably think is The Man from Snowy River. I don't know if you remember that film back in the day. Yeah. Uh, Proposition's Guy Pierce, and it is such an underrated film. A uh, very simple story, but very almost not quite nihilistic, but definitely morose. Like the whole piece is yes. very somber. So I I, I, kind of, yeah. I like that and slow that and Slow West, which is Michael Fassbender's film, are like two of the more better modern ones that come out in the last few years. So I, I would say w- w- look for both those films. So uh, Proposition. Sure. Has, any, has anybody else seen Proposition, let alone have it on their list? I think I've seen it, but I just can't place it in my mind. I, it sounds it's, so familiar. As... It's really good. I would, If you haven't seen it, I would recommend it. I guess it. I need to rewatch is, even if I haven't. Yeah, yeah, it, I don't it, remember <laughs> It's really, yeah, really fucking good. Yeah, I also think good. if you're uh, an aversion to, yeah, it, it's yeah, you're right. It, it it does, like you said, it's its own kind of thing, and and you know if it it it, it is a western as well, but it is almost nihilistic, and it does have a, a very different like um kind of feel to an American western. It's, but it's world not arty. But the simple, the story is simple. Yeah. yeah. No, no, it's not arty like though. assassination of Jesse James. Yeah, it's not. No, like no, no, it's not arty at all. <laughs> no, so, not, at uh, not at all. Okay, it's very simple, and I, and I like that about it for the same kind of reason. So yeah, it's very. For, I mean, like the opposite kind of reason, maybe. But yeah, it's definitely something to seek out. I would recommend. Fantastic! I'm cool. glad to hear. Uh, that's why we have the lower part of the list in case there is problems like this. So, uh, excellent. So moving on, right on, and I'm at my number four, and this is my second tie, and it's in my top five. And once again, I mm-hmm. put these at the same because they are the, exactly the same movie, but they're both great. <laughs> <laughs> and once again, it's a fil- you know films that I, I absolutely I've and all these films that I usually talk about are pretty much on the rewatch value. I've seen I've watched these films multiple times. Uh, and so this would be Stagecoach from 1993 and oh. Stagecoach from 1996. The first, they're both directed by, once again, John Ford. Big surprise, his name now comes up on our lists again. Um, but mm-hmm. the first one stars John Wayne, 
And the second one stars, oh, I'm sorry. The second one was directed by Gordon Douglas. The first one was directed by John Ford. I got to make sure. But um, um, the second one stars a couple amazing cast in its own right. You have Anne Margaret, Red Buttons, Michael Connors, Alex Cole, Bing friggin' Cosby and Slim Pickens, Keenan Wynn. I mean, the, the second film has an amazing cast. And the, the story is simple. It's a, it's a character piece about a bunch of people, a, you know, ramshackle people on a stage trose trying to get over a mountain before either they're killed by the weather or they're killed by Geronimo, who happens to be having a, a war party at the same time. Almost completely incidental. Um, <laughs> so, um, however, there's people with secrets, on, of course, because there's always secrets, right? Um, John Wayne was actually really, really good in the first movie, even though he's playing a character who's way younger than he was in that film. <laughs> but that's okay. We'll forgive him for that. Uh, the Ringo Kid was definitely not John Wayne. Uh, so, but the first movie's really, really fucking good. And it, once again, John Ford shoots it in Monument Valley. So you've got the amazing sweeping landscapes and, you know, amazing looks and things. But here's why I have these on the list, because originally, the original Stagecoach in 1939, when they released the 1966 version, the studio went back and systematically tried to destroy and did successfully destroy most of the prints of the 1939 Stagecoach. They're like, eh, it's obsolete. I got this one now. Yeah, and so um, I forget exactly what happened, but one person said no and hid their copy. Thank God for that. And we still have the original 1939 Stagecoach, which is now pre- preserved in the National Film Registry, as it should be. Uh, so, uh, you know, it, it, it's always kind of amazing to me. I believe in the second movie, it's not Geronimo. I'm looking it up. It was uh, Crazy Horse. In the first movie, it's Geronimo. I guess it's incidental what Native American is marauding, because, like I said, it's more of a B-plot. Because it's really more of a character study. Uh, but it, it's, it's a classic I, I mean, you can't go wrong with either one, either film. Both of them have something great to offer. There's good performances in both. They're both exciting and they're beautiful. Um, so if you want to like really do a nice comparison, like watch like you know the remakes comparison and, and see the difference between styles. And if you want to like really learn how the remake, you know, re- this is the film I point out when I say remakes are time honored tradition of Hollywood, because they've been making, remaking the same movies over and over again since the beginning. Yep. Hollywood is not original folks. They are number crunchers. They're going to pick things they know work and stagecoach work. Now the, the, that's the backwards thinking that they would go back and destroy all the original ones you know, because they didn't want people to watch them. I don't know. All I know is my grandmother on her mantle had a picture of John Wayne as the wrinkle kid on her, on her, on her mantle behind my, my, her television for years. So before I'd even seen the movie, I knew about Ringo kid, which I think is kind of interesting. So, uh, so those, that's, that's my number four does anybody have any um, anybody else have stagecoach on their list in anywhere on the list anywhere anyone no. anyone Bueller Bueller no I didn't think you would so <laughs> I, that's why I had it because the like, nine version on, um, huh you did, sorry I just sorry I just had never heard that story about the remakes before and um I I my my dad when when we were kids had a western some type of western box set that included the thirty nine version. And uh-huh. I was just thinking about um, um, 
that I was glad that that exists because I did watch it as a kid. You know, I have seen it. It was it's not my favorite, but I am really glad they didn't destroy it. <laughs> uh, it it, it would have been devastating. We wouldn't have known what we're missing, honestly, because of our, our generation. This is well before our generations, but I don't at the same time, the I'm one. so glad. Oh. Do watch it. It's actually quite good. I and will. the guy yeah, who plays I... Ringo Kid yeah. is better than John Wayne. Uh, and Anne Margaret oh, is fantastic no. <laughs> in it. Uh, you know, so, you know, Anne Margaret was right at the height of, like, she was just starting to have her peak in her career. So she's very young, very, very fascinating, very beautiful and feisty and everything you want in Anne Margaret. <laughs> you know, and, yeah. and, Bill, and, and Bing Crosby is not, he's playing a drunk. Uh, he's played a, the doctor's the semi-hero, but right. he's also an alcoholic, and it's a surprisingly yeah. layered performance considering what it is. Uh, you know, there's a lot going for the second film, it really is. So I don't diss I on either one of them. Check that out. Yes. Yeah. So, that, that, the remake right. totally escaped me. I didn't know you didn't know. Well, now you know. Maybe you should watch Stagecoach before our Repo Nerds next week. I will. I was, I was I, immediately when you said that cast, I was interested too. I mean, I, I love Anne Margaret, and uh, just to see Bing Crosby do something like that would be enough for price of admission alone. Bing, Bing Crosby's surprisingly good in this movie, and he doesn't sing, thank God. Uh, <laughs> actually, I don't think on his side. All right, Aaron Marie, number three. We're getting on. We got about 15 more minutes, so we got to go fast. So go ahead. My number three. Uh, is another nostalgic choice because it's it's literally the first western I ever fell in love with, um, and it was Young Guns. I mean, everything about that movie oh. I just fucking loved, yeah. and it it filled me with years of fascination about the Pony Express to the point where I even watched the show Young Riders because I just loved everything about it, and it has such a stellar cast. I mean, you have Emilio Estevez and Stephen Baldwin and Keeper Sutherland and Lou Diamond Phillips. I mean, all of these guys in their their heyday. And I just I fucking love that movie. I even like the second one. <laughs> uh, I know that Stephen Wadley is one of his. Three. Yeah, I was gonna say he the has whole it on his list for sure. Is my three. It's in the same spot, but I put both films because. Uh, just on base nostalgia factor alone, like it does, that's another junk food. Either one, I can quote both of those movies front to back, and I do annoyingly all the time. Uh, just ask Rachel. <laughs> oh my God! Uh, for but years, yeah, my friends and I used to walk up behind people, hit them in the back of the head, and go, "Make you famous." You know, and 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 it's, and there is some, I was telling Steve that some of the back half of that movie actually is historically accurate. Of uh, how he escaped out of the out of the jail cell. I've actually been to Lincoln, New Mexico, and seen the bullet hole where he shot the guy in the stairwell, and the the scene where the house burns down, they shoot their way out. All oh, that really did happen. Uh, and I've been to those That's locations. That's insane. So. Because yeah, Rutherford so, Hayes, I mean, that's insane. Because Rutherford Hayes brought troops to Lincoln County, Nebraska, in the middle of some local cattle war. I mean, when you think about that, I mean, that's just well, absolutely no, it's New insane. Mexico, not Nebraska, not Nebraska, New Mexico. I'm sorry, I meant to say New Mexico. I don't know why I said Nebraska. Yeah. I meant to say New Mexico. Well, there so. is a Lincoln, Nebraska. I mean, and they're both west, so I. Can oh, that's that. probably, yeah. <laughs> that's probably why that rolled out of. That's probably how that rolled out. But but the, just thinking of that, the fact that the troops came into New Mexico. In the middle of that war, like in a Lincoln County war, 
uh, the cat, the, but for this cattle, I don't know how accurate all that is, but that to me is insane enough that even when you, you know, when you think of young guns, it's just the first thing that comes to my mind, even as a fan, isn't historical accuracy. So to find out that even some of it is was a really, you know, nice little cherry on top of something I already enjoyed. Excellent. All right, Raven, what's your three? All right, I got another TV show for you. Um, and we had it for a short time, I guess, what, five years, the lovely Hell on Wheels, um, which was an AMC show, and now you can watch it on the old Netflix. Um, And it's a former soldier trying to avenge the death of his wife and in doing so starts to work to build the Transcontinental Railroad. And um, there's a lot of East meets West stuff where everyone on the East Coast is all buildings and buggies and the West Coast is still cowboys and shooting each other in the face. Uh, So there's a lot of, I think the writing's really good. Cole Meany is in it. Um, The main character is Anson Mount. And unfortunately, his other biggest credit was (laughs) Britney Spears' boyfriend in Crossroads. Uh, But it took me two seasons Right. It took me two seasons to figure that out, so it's really not noticeable. <laughs> and then Common is in it as well, and he's great. Well, excellent. Oh. Um, I actually, that's one I haven't seen, so that's actually something to put me on my either. list. So, yeah. Oh, nice. So, yeah, hell on wheels. Yay. All right, Aaron Cogan. I think Aaron Common Kogan, makes anything you... better. <laughs> you are up, Aaron. Go well. ahead. Yeah, my number three was going to be Tombstone. So instead, let's drop down to my number six, The Treasure of the Sierra Madre. Nice. Uh, not Back to the What's that? Now we're getting serious. Said, we're getting serious. Badges. We know. Oh, yeah. What? You thought I came to play? No, no, no. That's oh, right. Nothing's left in the locker room here. <laughs> it's all on the field, yeah. And, um, right. yeah, I mean, you, you can chop this up into different elements. You can talk about the Oscar-winning directing or the screenplay or the acting, but, you know, rarely does a film come together as well as it does, and it, it's almost fucking Western noir and just so good. Yeah, from it is. The first yeah. opening frame with the wind blowing away, presaging what's going to come at the end uh, all the way through. It, it's it's It's... It's legendary, mythic, and very, very personal. Dobbs mm-hmm. is not your ordinary villain. It's not just that we see him turn. It's not just the process, although that whole arc is amazing, and Humphrey Bogart is really fucking good in it. But yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, 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 it, it's almost fucking biblical, you know? Uh, greed just fucks you up, yo. And it's... <laughs> It's great. It's one of my absolute. Was that I mean, the poster tagline? <laughs> it should be. Shouldn't it? Up, yo. <laughs> that sounds like something the SP should have. <laughs> yeah, All right, Steve Wanley. Drop that in. That's awesome. That's, that's good choices. You're number three, sir. Steve, oh, I have to look up. at my list. I, oh, I'm right here. Sorry. I have to look because most of my list has been shredded. So I'm going to go with be... Sergio Leone's The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping. 
Yeah, I knew. It had to be brought up at some point. I mean, it's, it, to me, that's really what got me into Westerns was the spaghetti stuff in the first place when I was, you know, just a youngin. Uh, and I, I love Clint Eastwood. Um, I know he has become the crotchetiest get-off-my-lawn old man, but I still love all of his <laughs> stuff for the most part. But he is, gosh, he's such a uh, crotchety old man. It sucks to be a fan still. But uh, I'm like the last guy left. It's still like, oh, there's a new Clint film. Everyone's like, no one cares, Steve. Stop talking about it. But uh, no, I love, I love all of his stuff, and I love, I love the man with no name stuff. I, I think, you know, where we don't have much time. The good, the bad, and the ugly is a classic. Anybody out there that hasn't seen it, do yourself a favor. Watch the whole man with no name trilogy, or you know, don't. But I think you should. So you can of the talk three, about it's my films. favorite you know. by far. Cinematography yeah, is the best. Van Cleef is film. great in it. Oh, it's so good. All right, so my number three, I went more for the cinematography, is the star. And it's a more of a sentimental choice on my list. And it's Sam Raimi's 1995, The Quick and the Dead. Uh, I absolutely oh. <laughs> love that movie. Um, it, it, yeah, it's very tropey, very cliche. Um, some people had a lot of issues with uh, Sharon Stone's performance, but if you, but like Showgirls, if you really look at her performance and bail it down, she's actually really doing something. You just got to pay attention. Her arc is real. Uh, but it's so stylized, so fun. Uh, Gene Hackman as a great villain. Russell Crowe's first American performance. Leonardo DiCaprio right before he broke. Lance Hendrickson. Yeah. I mean, this movie is basically just a bunch of showdowns in the middle of a, of a, of a western town. But it's fun. It's it's underrated. I actually, Bill Pope, I believe Leo Pope was the cinematographer on it. Uh, and the cinematography is just mind-blowing. It's, you know, think of Evil Dead, but put western in it, and that's what you get. I mean, the yeah. cinematography is... Oh, no, it's not Bill Pope, but it is one of the Italian direct uh, cinematographers doing it. Uh, so it's got that spaghetti western flair, speaking of that. So I really, really love The Quick and the Dead, and I, I've rewatched it many, many times. So, uh, No, I got kicked out of that movie. Oh, you did? For not yeah, yeah I tried to sneak in and see it. I tried to sneak in <laughs> and see it. I was 10 years old, and the guy removed yeah. me from the, from the theater. Aww, well, <laughs> you're just a troublemaker, Steve. I know. They just grabbed a hold of me. He was like, no, man, over here. I was like, oh, oh I just played it off like I walked in the wrong theater. All right. Well, 10 minutes before our guest. So, Erin Marie, we're up. What do you got? All right. Since my number two was Tombstone, I'm just going to pull a quick one from my bot at my honorable mentions, or my number six anyway. <laughs> Which is um, uh, Bone Bone Tomahawk. Nice, uh, Bone Tomahawk. I did not exclude oh. uh, her <laughs> because that one is just. I mean, the cast again. You've got Kurt Russell. I fucking love Kurt Russell. But I mean, to put Patrick Wilson and uh, I think at the very beginning we've got uh, David Arquette and Sid Haig right. and. I mean, it has just an incredible cast, and the idea of a cannibalistic tribe, uh, this practical effects, like the splitting, the complete splitting of the guy in half, everything about it, I just fucking love. It's brutal. It's, it's, 
And the stakes are high as fuck in that movie. Like, no one is safe oh. in that film, not even the leads. There's no plot armor at all in this film. And that was making nope. it so good, I think. None. So, you yeah. know, and it is an unsung classic. I think people are going to come back and just notice it more. Um, what Sid Haig said, it was the nicest he's ever been treated on set. And so I give it props for that, too. So, uh, you know, uh, so we love. I, I watched that properly. film for this episode and uh-huh. I hate that film. And if we had time, I would tell you why. <laughs> But let's we, we, we'll talk about that off air. You know there what, are, there so are detractors to it. There are plenty of people that don't like that. I bet like you hate that top. filmmaker, Aaron. I bet you hate that I, guy's entire body of work. Craig I Baylor. Fucking I fucking love that him. film on so many levels. <laughs> I, I, I'll just I'll, I'll oh, limit no. myself to one. I'm going to limit myself to one thing and one thing only. Backstaring Acting Conservatory, when we had a literature class, Betsy Ferguson would always ask, so what does the title mean? So let me ask you, what does the title mean? Oh, well, there was a bone tomahawk in the movie. Oh, really? Really? That's what you're going with? <laughs> Jesus. Aaron's not a oh, fan. <laughs> I, we don't have time. We do not have time to get into this. Keep no, going. we don't because we, we, we got a guest tonight, guys. We have a guest don't and he's awesome. <laughs> oh my God. All right. I'm getting so nervous. <laughs> Oh, I know. I'm so scared now. We'll have to talk about this out there. Okay, so um, you're not liking Bone Tomahawk. Raven, you're up. Hi. But Aaron. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, so from 1976, The Shootist with John oh. Wayne, Jimmy Stewart, Lauren Bacall, Ron Howard, Harry Morgan, John Carradine, Scatman Crothers. Need I say more? No, but I will I, excuse and, the hell out of me, which is the best line. Thank and, you. And spoiler alert, John John Wayne dies in, in his final performance and it's really fucking mm-hmm. great. It's, so yeah, you it's know, really cool. Great. Yeah, so that's a good choice. Uh, John Wayne is actually represented a lot more than I was expecting on this list because a lot yeah, of, it is too. really, really popular to not like John Wayne right now. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm actually really oh, yeah. surprised. Yeah. All right, uh, Aaron Cogan, your number we're at, we're at two, right? Yeah, we're at two. Number two. Number two. Uh, prepare yourself for more John Wayne. She wore a yellow ribbon. <laughs> oh, John oh, Wayne, John okay. Ford. Yeah, I love that movie. I, I <laughs> fucking love the cavalry pictures, and it's kind of hard to choose one. But you know, Ford Apache is a little bit of a downer. And <laughs> sure, she wore a yellow ribbon. It's so much fucking fun on so many levels. And, yeah, again, uh, Monument Valley plays a huge part in it. And we, we could talk an entire show about how John Ford had only one eye and how he was a living yeah. camera. I mean, there have been whole fucking papers on that in <laughs> cinema much. classes all over the globe. But it's my, just my a favorite, fun film. I like that one, but my favorite from this era was Rio Grande which is a lot of people mm. miss that one because uh, there's a lot of, oh, yeah, even though yeah. there's some issue, issues with the Native American portrayals, there's a lot of amazing, um, no, hold on, my guess is calling. There's a lot of amazing horse riding in that movie that blows me on. So. Uh, the Jim Chi and Joe Leaphorn mystery series about the, the Navajo detective, uh, Skinwalker and that whole series. Um, mm-hmm. There's yeah. a, a little side note where uh, one of Jim Chi's uncles 
had been an extra in the film, and apparently they were all saying the most filthy things in Navajo. And you know, yeah, I heard that. I heard that too. (laughs) (laughs) I kind of love that. (laughs) Yeah. Oh come on! (laughs) Great, my phone, my computer completely. All right, here we go. It's my turn, isn't it? Isn't it? Yes. Yeah, hold Go. on just a second. All right, my my number two. I'm trying to talk to our our guests at the same time because I'm having trouble here. Hold on. Do you? He wants the number again. Ah, there I got it. All right, uh, my number two is actually a TV series, and it's the reason why we're doing this episode is Deadwood, 2004 to 2006, yeah. and 2019. So uh, Deadwood is my favorite. TV show, Western TV show of all time at this point. Um, it's not a Western in the traditional sense. It's slightly arty, though it is relatively historically accurate and uses real characters to tell really great stories. Uh, but it's really written in its own language. It's basically watching Shakespeare in the Old West, and even in language. And the casting of, of uh, Ian McShane as, as Swear, Al Swearingen is one of the greatest characters of any Western ever. Uh, he basically declares himself king in the first episode, and it continues from there. Uh, it is so good, uh, and everyone that played a historical character is amazing. I didn't do it in time, but I wanted to do uh, the montage. There's a montage of every cocksucker said in Deadwood, but we didn't have time to play it tonight. <laughs> that would have been awesome. Uh, so, uh, you know, now that the movie's out, I really, really highly recommend people going back and watching the first three seasons of Deadwood because the third season kind of left off in a, in a, in a weird cliffhanger that never got resolved, but the movie kind of made up for that. And I was crying through the whole film all the way through it. Like just so much was happening. And, and I just forgot how much I love these characters. These characters are wonderful. All of them, even the villains, you just feel for everybody. Uh, and it, and the set itself is a character. The Deadwood set is incredible. Uh, so I highly recommend Deadwood and it's my number two. Nice. Natalie and I are watching it for the first time, and we are loving it. We're in the middle of season two, and I'm I'm so glad that you had us uh, had this show so we would because we're really enjoying it. I'm glad to hear that. All right, um, give me just a second, Marin Marie. I'm going to bring on our guests, and then we'll read our number ones. Okay, so hold on. Okay. If I can get it to work, my computer, of course, is starting that crazy again, just when everything goes on. Hello, 954 area code. You're on with the sexy witches. Hi, how you doing? This is Mike Rothman. Hello, Mr. Rothman. How are you doing? Thank you for coming on the show. How are you doing? No, thanks for having me. Excellent. Now, sir, we're running a tiny bit long, but we're at a very end of our segment, and I thought I would bring you in. So we can transition to your segment. So you can listen. So join, Ooh. listen in, and if you want to comment, you're welcome to. We're talking about westerns at the moment. Um, we're reading. Oh, we're talking fun. about our favorite number one westerns of all time right now. So um, in, a, in a way. So we'll start with Aaron Marie, and this will take about five minutes, and then we'll go right into your segment. So Aaron Marie, your number one. Or uh, my about. number one is also one that did not show up on your list, and Raven mentioned it, but Westworld. The movie. Very mm. good. I saw it for the first time when I was seven years old. It was the first horror slash sci-fi movie I had ever seen, and Yul Brenner was 
mesmerizing. I was terrified of him. He's just so charismatic, even when he's not saying a goddamn word. Not mm. to mention, going back and rewatching that movie as an adult, I also realized how funny. Like, it's truly just genuinely lighthearted and funny at the beginning. And I had forgotten all about that before it goes all dark and serious. But, uh, and it and, goes and it really gets... dark and serious. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> but it also spurned, of course, Westworld, uh, the television show, which is also incredible especially the first season and uh if you if you if you can find it in the first season I have yet to find it even though I've seen like a freeze frame of it but Joel Brenner's original um replica is is somewhere in that facility in the first season Oh wow That's right I remember reading about that yeah. I never saw it but yeah, yeah. he's in the background in one of the bankers I I remember nice. that so Excellent. So, um, so we'll move on because we've got to speed up a little bit. And the ones are almost super. It, it, at this point, we've gone through our list. Uh, so, Raven, what's your number one? Oh, I had to go with the marvelous Sam Peckinpah and his Wild Bunch from 1969. Um, as far as I know, if it's not the only, it's definitely the first true western that's man versus technology. Um, and mm. the shots that Peckinpah uses, not only his squibs, which are amazing, and this could also be considered a gore film because the blood effects are so awesome. Yeah. Um, Fangoria has done spots on the Wild Bunch before because of how great his squibs were. But he also has there's these great shots where you see the telephone poles that have been installed and the railroad that has just come into town against cowboys trying to <laughs> ride their horses fast enough to kick some ass and steal some money. Um, and technology is making that hard to do. And does this kill the American dream or the American myth that we were talking about earlier? Um, and then, and then you got Ernest Borgnine and William Holden and you're all good. What more you need? <laughs> Call your mother. I saw it. I saw it for the first time this weekend. I'd never seen it before. And um, I, I, I will give my review on Repo Nerds next week because um, Steve and I are going to do we're going to continue our Western conversation and talk specifically about a couple movies in deep dive. And that'll be one of them. Uh, but, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's a really, really fun film in the sense that I liked how it wasn't pulling its punches what it looked like on the border like everybody looked like they just, they lived there it wasn't the Hollywood version right. of what the Mexican border looked like at all <laughs> you know? right. so uh, I appreciated that and you know and we're not really rooting for this gang and they do some pretty terrible things on their own right and I kind of like that too like the one oh, guy yeah. shoots his girlfriend <laughs> while he's sitting on the, her boyfriend's lap that's just fucked up <laughs> you know that's rude of, and the and the machine gun, oh my god, the machine gun sequence is so amazing on so many levels. I was just like, oh my gosh. Uh, so, though honestly, I wouldn't want to use that machine gun. I'd much rather have a uh, a Gatlin gun because that will not jam, and that thing <laughs> will eventually jam. So, uh, but uh, anyway, so yeah, good choice. Wild bench at number one. All right, Aaron Kogan, your number one or your last talk? Oh, you already said it. It was it was the Blazing Saddles. So. Oh, wow. Um, I already said. 
Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, I'm so disappointed in that. It's like, we've just got to win number one. Okay, and then, so I'm going to go ahead, and no one has actually said my number one, and I'm really surprised. My, one of my favorite Westerns of all time. Before I get into mine, Mr. Rothman, do you have a favorite Western that's not Stephen King related of all time? <laughs> I don't have, I, 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 I'm definitely not uh, Stephen King related, but horror related for sure. Um, one of my recent favorites is Bone Tomahawk, which was <laughs> very visceral, like, it's just, it's so dark, and I just, I love, I'm, I love Kurt Russell. I have such a crush on him, and so he just, just how visceral the gore is in that movie. I've never seen any type of gore like that in my entire life, um, and it's, it's just brutal. But um, I mean, that's great, and I also, I mean, I love Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid because just the chemistry between uh, yeah. Paul Newman and Robert Redford is just amazing. So I could watch them. I could watch them for like four more hours. Hey, it's funny because Bone Tomahawk, we just went over that on this episode, and boy, we're, we're, we're on a divine, we actually have to have an argument offline about that one later. That's how <laughs> controversial that choice is. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, and we have also mentioned Bush Cassidy because, of course, it's just a classic movie. So period. And of course, yeah, as, a, yeah. as a person that appreciates music, do you, uh, how do you feel about the Burke Bacharach score? Because some people like it, some people don't. We have a mixed bag you here know, with the Sexy Witches. Yeah, you know, it's weird because it's, it's in so many ways and just like of the time that it was released and what, and whatnot, but um, it is so like, it does pull you out just enough for you're like, oh yeah, I am watching kind of like a, a light comedy in a way, or, you know, it, it, there's a, it's, a, it's not as timeless um, as it would be possibly without having it in there, um, if they just had mm-hmm. some sort of orchestral score, but God, it, 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 it does capture that sort of like, the humor of the movie and also just the, the whimsy of the movie too. Um, you know, it, it is like a funny flying, movie. Like, over... Yeah. You know, like, I mean like the, the whole bicycle sequence, it's just, it's also a really romantic movie too, in, in certain ways. So like, um, you know, between, you know, the two titular leads and also even just the, the relationship that they have um, in, in, the, in the movie. So I, I don't know. I, I also just love it because it's, it's been used so much in pop culture, and um, I particularly loved it when it was used in Spider-Man. But um, I think Spider-Man Two. I think it was when they used it again. Yes, it was. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Toby McGuire's. Yeah, when he loses his power. Yeah. I know exactly what scene that is. Yes. And, yeah. and yes, I love it. That I love it there too. Actually, so yeah, it gets a pass because of that for sure. <laughs> um, so my number one. I'm going to read my whole list real fast, and then I'm going to give you my number one because I wanted to mention real quick my my honorable mentions. One is because I don't love the movie, but I love the shootout. And it was 2003's Open Range with Kevin Costner and Robert mm-hmm. Duvall. Mm-hmm. Pr- pretty good movie. Great shootout. Like the final battle yeah. sequence in that film is really on point, And that's really, really good. Uh, and then I want to say it's kind of more of a gateway drug to Western than actually a Western. But, I mean, none of us has mentioned it. From 1974 to 1983, on Monday nights, I was in front of my television watching Little House on the Prairie every uh, friggin' day. No. <laughs> Little House on the Prairie. Uh, absolutely, like, love, love Little House on the Prairie. I still do. I mean, it's, it's a good old family film with rape, racism, murder, burning people, killing people, plagues, <laughs> all sorts of great stuff. So, you know, it, it's uh, go ba- a lot of people don't realize how hardcore that show really was. Go back and watch it. But Laura... Laura Ingalls Wilder and that, not uh, maybe because now it's kind of, once again, controversial to have her name on stuff, but the character right. that Melissa Gilbert played was one of my heroes growing up. So we were the same age. So I was really into that character. Um, and then 
all of my, and then we got El Topo at 10, Dead Man at 9. Nice. Got to mention Dead Man, Yam Yarmouche. Um, another Clint Eastwood, Two Mules for Sister Sarah. So good. Uh, True Grit, 1969. And then oh, we already mentioned Assassination. Now, number one is my favorite Western, period. And it's The Outlaw, Josie Wales with Clint Eastwood. Absolutely one of my favorites of all time. Um, it's, it, it, first of all, it's got everything. It's got civil war. It's got deserting. It's got you know, revenge. It's got Native Americans shown with faceted characters, which is unusual even in 76 yeah. to get that. Um, you know, nobody's happy. It's kind of a, a, a very somber piece, yet there's a little string of hope and a story of family in it. And it's one of the, and, and it's really Clint Eastwood explaining his no man, no named character, but now he's actually telling you how this person thinks. You actually get to go inside his head how he chooses who to kill and when. And, and, and I really, really enjoy everything up to the final showdown in this film. I think it's, it's pretty fun, pretty good film and a really classic Western. So that's what, so that's our list. Fantastic. And thank you, everyone. We had a lot of fun with that. And thank you, uh, Michael, for being a little bit patient because we're going to slam right into <laughs> no, your no segment. So, everyone, Sexy Witches, I want you to say hello to Michael Rothman and to my listeners out there. He is the editor-in-chief of Consequence of Sound.net, which I'm very honored to have you on, sir, because you're one of my favorite music websites. So thank you so oh, much for being you. on the show. Uh, but you, no, you're not actually me, on here. You're not really actually on here to talk music tonight, though, because you're starting my Summer of Steve series. Uh, all the summer, we're going to talk about Stephen King, Clive Barker, and uh, Mick Garris, because we're having a big oh, Halloween contest in, Yeah, in October. And when I was doing research for it, I came across uh, your article on every single Stephen King adaptation that exists <laughs> up to Pet Cemetery, including single yeah. episodes from anthology series. Wow, that mm-hmm. is a really big yeah. feat. I didn't think you could actually do that. There are a lot of adaptations, so bravo of getting that list. I don't normally ex- am excited about ranking lists, but this one was so thorough, I, I was really blown away by it. So, sir, how did you decide to come up with this beautiful list of, of, of adaptations of Stephen King? How'd you put it together? Well, you know, it's kind of served as like a really good um, rubric or background for us or a foundation, if you will, for the actual podcast that we we do. And it was um, because we run a Stephen King podcast called The Loser's Glove on Consequence of Sound. And, you know, we're all huge Stephen King fanatics, um, me and my closest friends and a lot of the writers on the site. And, you know, we we originally started with just doing like almost just the top 10, top 10 Stephen King adaptations because we had done an, an event here in Chicago at the Music Box Theater um, where we recreated the uh, the 70s prom for Carrie. And so we wanted to just kind of, um, we were doing like a special screening for, for Carrie and we had this whole 70s party that was going on. And so we wanted to create content around it. So we just did a top 10 at first. And then as we started doing the podcast, we're like, we should go back and just do everything. And they're like, well, what do you mean? Like the, the movies? And we're like, no, 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 like, like everything, every adaptation that he's, that's ever been done in his work. Like, and so we scoured the internet to find out like every one of them on there. Uh, and then we, we had a team of like, I think like six or seven writers, all the co-hosts and in, in addition to some other um, contributing writers to it. And we just kind of cut out like who was going to take what. And we had to kind of parse that with like, you know, you'd get some of the classics, but then you'd also get something like, 
oh, an episode that might have appeared in the Out of Limits that might not be so good. And, you know, so everyone had like their bad and they all said they're really good and then they all said they're great. And it was a lot of fun. It was a lot. Of, it was around 2017 when we accomplished it. Um, and it was like it, it, it was it was a process to just track down stuff like I had to order things, a lot of things on Amazon because you couldn't find them on streaming services and they wouldn't be on even on iTunes or anything. So it was it was definitely a lot of work, but it was so much fun. And it, and it really does serve as like a really cool foundation now to keep adding to it. Cause that same year that it came out, like we had it, we had 1922, we had Gerald's game. It, it just was like endless. And since then we've just keep adding and updating it. Uh, you know, and as it's they come. getting more Stephen King this summer. I mean, and they just announced the long walk is going to be adapted oh, now. Okay. And, and yeah. of course, and to bring this back to Westerns, we're about to get another uh, Dark Power adaptation. Uh, how do yeah. you feel about yeah. that? I'm really excited. You know, I, I, I loved, I actually really liked Idris Elba as uh, Roland DeShane. I thought that he, <laughs> this is such a stupid opinion, but I thought that he was in the 90 minutes that he was in it was more compelling and exciting than the role we get in the seven books. And I'm pretty sure every Stephen King fan wants to kill me for saying that, but I just really <laughs> loved his, I, I just loved his portrayal as, as Roland. And I just think it's unfair that he got, you know, hamstrung with this movie that was like 90 minutes of seven books. And it's just, it's just not fair. And like um, to him at least, and you know, Matthew McConaughey was going to be awesome. Like, you know, we, before, even before the casting was down, announced, we thought that, he was going to be a great Randall flag. And um, so when it was announced that he was, he had it, it was still kind of part of the reconnaissance. So we were really excited. And then all of a sudden it just was like, uh, not good. So this new series, the fact that they're going back and they're doing what they should have done from the beginning and having it on television so that it's episodic and you could actually take the time with the characters and learn the mythology. I think it's going to be great. And the casting so far that they've had for it has been awesome. Like I think yesterday they just announced that Michael Rooker is going to be joining. Um, yes, they did. And yeah, so I'm like, it's, it's really exciting. And like, they have a lot of no names playing a lot of the pivotal roles. Um, like Sam strike. I've, I've never watched mind flayers, but the fact that that's going to be like the young Roland, I've never really seen him. That's kind of exciting to me. Cause I don't really want to have like any preconceived notions of like the actor. It's just going to kind of be kind of cool to have, you know, just kind of a clean slate. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, so let's go back to your list, your never-ending list of adaptations, <laughs> and let me ask you, what are your favorites from that list? I, I mean, I, I personally love. I think Stand by Me is a perfect movie. Um, I, I, I love it so much, and I, I think that it actually improves upon uh, the novella that that King did with different seasons, um, just because it's it's such a it's it's it really captures the kind of essence of friendship and the chemistry that you get between the the actors, especially just the the no the notion of what happened to River Phoenix and the the what happens at the end of the movie. Also, there's like something very spiritually like harrowing about that and like really heartfelt too. And um and being of a generation that I'm particularly nostalgic for, which is the '80s, but also tied to the nostalgia of the '50s at that same time. There's just something really powerful about that movie and. So that's what we that's why we chose as number one. I, I actually really like campaign for that one too as number one because I just think like in terms of being like a timeless story that you, that anyone can really enjoy or like go into. You don't have to like horror, but watching that movie like you do get the essence of Stephen King. You get the world bu- building of Castle Rock that where it takes place. You get the 
um, the archetypes of like the bullies with the children that would be seen in it and Dreamcatcher and a few of others, other stories that he's done. And I, I, so for me, that's, that's always just going to be my, my, um, my, my, just my favorite of his for sure. But you know, there's some definite horror ones that I love. Like it's not a great, it's not a direct adaptation per se of his work, but I still think the shining is just one of the most terrifying movies of all time. And um, so for me, it's, that one's there, even though I think it captures the essence of Stephen King's book. But um, in terms of like a direct adaptation, it's definitely not the same as the novel, for sure. Um, but uh, and then also the mist. I love. I thought I thought the mist is was phenomenal in 2007, especially the um, especially the black and white cut, which really kind of captures the monster movie feel too. So um, those three for sure are are probably my favorite uh, among Stephen King's. Uh, works for sure or adaptations. I've mentioned before that the one of the reasons why I like the Mist so much is the Drew Struzan shout outs all through the movie. Uh, you know, mm, clearly yeah. it, it, it look, there's so much of him in that film, and without him actually being there, I thought that was cool. I found out a really cool piece of uh, trivia about uh, Stand by Me last week when I was listening to a podcast. Guess who was originally supposed to play the role that Will Wheaton got? Oh, who was it? Who was that for? Henry Thomas. I, I, he passed to... on it. Henry oh. Thomas. Wow. Yeah. He's probably doing the yeah, quest. That really worked. He said awesome. he passed on it because he was too young. And he was younger than the other boys at that time. He would have been 10 and they were like 12 to 14, right? So, uh, uh, and so that's why he passed on it. But his mom, the story was his mom was like, I really don't think you should be passing on this. And she's like, ah, yeah. done, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and, and he says now to this day, his mom was right. It was his biggest regret passing on that film. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, it, it, he would have been great, honestly. I, and Will Wheaton's fantastic in it. And, you know, and Corey Feldman and, uh, uh, you know, heck, even Chris Connolly, you know, <laughs> I love all those boys. Yeah. They cry. You know, so, uh, you know, it's a good film for sure. Uh, You know, it's almost, but let's just say, let's go back to some of his lesser successful works. Let's put it that way. Because you have them ranked, but clearly some of them, you even if you didn't like them, you could tell how much you guys adored them. So what on this list that did you guys decide that even though they weren't really good movies per se, you still kind of adored them anyways? Yeah, you know, I for, like for example, like I I'm not like crazy about um, the I mean like Silver Bullet's not a great movie by any stretch. But I love that movie. It's still so <laughs> much <me>. fun. <laughs> it's still so much fun. Like I love. I love like, that I, movie. I, and I, I think it's because it's so self-aware about itself, but it's still it's you know it's not like by any stretch like I, I wouldn't say it's like a, you know like a Shining or like the you know like a Stand by Me. It's no. just such a fun like you know midnight rental type of horror movie um that i think all of us were pretty much just we got to put this up there like this is just too much fun like we, we we watched so many times as kids um so i'm sure that one kind of turned some heads is like why is that in the top 23 top 24 but um i i also really loved i had a really soft spot for the dead zone tv series uh and i because i I really loved Michael um, or Anthony Michael Hall as um, Johnny Smith. And I thought that was a really smart way to adapt his work, especially something that's so finite as that story, because if you, I mean, it's very episodic, the actual novel itself, but it's very like 
there is a beginning and there is an end. So the fact that they were able to stretch it out to like, I think it was like five seasons that they had or four or five seasons. Um, it's pretty, it's, it's actually, no, it's six seasons. Okay. She said. Um, so I thought that was pretty impressive. So we, we have that, there was a little, that was a little kind of controversial because we put that in the top 25 as well. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, there, there, there's definitely someone's like, I mean, it, like I'm, I'm not a huge fan of the it miniseries either. I, I think that um, a lot of the, a lot of the, the, you know, the adult stuff that's in there gets very hammy. The huge spider at the end of it is just not very compelling at all. Um, <laughs> but I think we all certainly had a, a shared nostalgia for it. <laughs> I, I think the first half, and I feel the same way about the Steven, the stand also. I feel the first yeah. half is a lot stronger than the back half of those two miniseries. Uh, you know, no, especially totally. I think the stand falls apart in the last hour like big time. I, and once they get to Vegas, it kind of like loses what was great about the book, I think. Uh, and, and, and some of the oh, ambiguity. Oh, well, <laughs> even down. before that, I've mentioned it on the show before where, where, you know, we have, what's her name? Uh, Mangia Como, right? She's in the film and she's a major, major character in the book and, and her, her oh, yeah. death in the book is, is super interesting because he, she convinces mm-hmm. him to throw her out the window, right? In the TV yeah. series, she kills herself. And we've already mm-hmm. had the, the mole kill herself beforehand, and it kind of took the power out of that character completely. Because it's a lot, one thing to jump off the roof. It's another thing to convince someone to throw you off a roof. Uh, so, yeah. uh, you know, yeah, and so from, from that point on, I think the movie loses something. Now, they did cut out that whole sequence of them getting back home, but then they completely ruin the ending. I'm like, oh no, oh, they went magical. They went magical cliche, if you know what I'm saying. You know, and yeah. the one thing I liked about the book is that that one particular character, she's they like Stephen King's trying to go out of his way to show her is not a cliche, right? The blind exactly. prophet. Yeah. Like, like she makes mistakes. She disappears for a long period of time and is almost found dead. Right. You know, and, and they mm-hmm. don't, they, they don't really capture that in the, in the movie. She dies and she becomes Obi-Wan Kenobi. Yeah. So, uh, you know, so uh, in, in the, it, uh, the, the adaptation, I mean, obviously you have Tim Curry as the iconic Pennywise and that character is 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 spread you know generations my daughter knows Pennywise is without actually seeing the movie uh you know yeah. so and yeah. poor Georgie <laughs> but I know. I, you know uh. I it actually makes me a little nervous for the movie this fall honestly because I think that a lot of the problems with the second half of the miniseries was also a problem with the source material in uh, in the mm-hmm. in the book so is it going to – I wonder what's going to happen for the back half. I'm going to be open-minded, though. I mean, come on. It was pretty darn good, the first movie. I, I don't think it's – I really love the first movie a lot. Like, I, I thought that the, the, the only – the weakest element of the first movie was really just the, um, the Pennywise stuff because I, I, I just thought that, like, they didn't give Bill Skarsgård enough of a chance to just be himself. They just kept doing these things where – he would jump and then it would just zoom really fast or, you know, they'd use these like kind of CGI effects at times. And it just was so much more haunting when he would either just be standing there or like, there's like a great scene in the, in the Nibalt house where he, you know, he unfurls out of the, the refrigerator and it's so haunting the way that his like body distorts and everything. 
but then they immediately jump to like him zooming really fast towards um towards eddie and you're like no you just like killed the horror there like it, it was so much more haunting when he like felt pulp like palpable and like he was there in the moment and i don't did you get to see castle rock when it was on hulu i have not I just seen started it, it actually Oh, good. Yeah, I'm he, in the fourth he, episode. He's so, scary. he's so good. Oh, great. You're, you're getting towards the, the, the seventh episode is just is one of the, the best TV episodes oh, I've seen excited. in years. I um, had no idea so how talented he was until I started Castle right? Rock and I could see his range. All uh, the I'm really impressed. are talented. All the scars yeah, are Yeah, yeah. I don't know talented. why I doubted. I know. <laughs> I know. Why would you? Well, that, I mean, Gu- Gustav is, uh, is awesome. Bill is kind of hot. Then, of course, there's Alexander. Oh my gosh! Oh. <laughs> hey, baby, who's like literally terrifying in Big Little Lies? Uh, but when oh, I done. have never seen Big uh. Little Lies, and a lot of my girlfriends are saying you are a bad person because of it. So I gotta fix that. Uh. <laughs> I, I watched it all in like one day, and it was—he is so scary in that movie. So it's like I definitely think like terror runs in the family for them. Like they, with Bill, it's more of like the eyes, like his, his sunken eyes that he does. He does this thing with his eyes that are so haunting. And I, and I hope they play that up in the second one, but based on the trailer, it looks like we're probably going to get more CGI. And I, I can't stand the screenwriter of the, um, that did the second one. Like he, he's done the, the nun, which I thought was just one of my uh, just uh, an awful movie. And then, uh, uh, um, uh. <laughs> Go, oh, go for it. <laughs> no, no, no. I was gonna. Uh, I'm agreeing with you. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's just scary. Like, cause I, I, the original screenplay was primarily Kerry Fukunaga's, and even though he left the project, it was still was like a lot of the screenplay that he had left was still part of that first part of it. And so now it's all on this guy uh, Gary Dauberman, and we, it's kind of a joke with our podcast. We there's two people that we usually, you know, slam, and one is Akiva Goldsman, who we call Hollywood Hack, and. Um, he wrote The Dark Tower, and he's just one of the worst Hollywood screenwriters. But Gary Dauberman is just somebody that we've never really been a fan of just because he's he's done a lot of this the same old, same old jump scare type horror that, um, it, you know, it's been prevalent in a lot of, like, the Conjuring movies and whatnot. So, like, for us, it was just when he got – when it was announced that he was just the sole writer and now he's going to be responsible for those films, lot remake, we were just like, oh, no, <laughs> like, not good. But I, well, I'm like you. I'm being optimistic. <laughs> well, let's be open-minded because at least it'll look yeah. pretty. I mean, there's going to be that, yeah. oh, you know. And, yeah. and there's other things that, you know, we also have Nightmare Cafe coming out this fall, which is McGarris's anthology oh, yeah. and Stephen King's all over that as well. I mean, there's going to be mm-hmm. so much Stephen King coming out. And then even his son, I mean, Nosferatu's out, right? Joe Hill has his thing out. Yep. Uh so we're just filled with Stephen King this summer, which is pretty brilliant in a weird way. I mean, it's either that or Disney. Those are your choices this summer. There's a wait yeah, of right? a Stephen King adaptation or a Disney or Marvel movie coming out. Just wait. There'll be one. Oh, I know. Uh, Never so does, does any of my sexy witches panel here uh, have a question for my uh, guest? Or has I a have statement a question. about Stephen King? Okay, go for it. Okay, well, first of all, I want to say I follow Consequence of Sound on Facebook, and I am a top fan. Thank you very much. Ooh. Um, <laughs> secondly, yes, get That's out of the cool. way. Secondly, what's your favorite Stephen King cameo? Ooh. Oh, that's Ooh. a good one. Um, you know, I, <laughs> I, love, uh, I love him in the stand just for the way he says stew. Um, but cause he's just like, Stew. uh, but 
I there's something really great about um, just the way he he's in the periphery for Pet Cemetery because I, I actually really love mm-hmm. Pet Cemetery of '89. I thought Mary Lambert just captured that book to perfection, and the fact that he wrote it was great. But he, his cameo there is so subtle and perfect, and it's like it's such a um, it's such an unnerving moment because it's just after the death of their son, and like so it's just it's just a perfect cameo where it doesn't seem too yeah. cheeky. It just it, it just works, you know. How about you? Mine's in Creep Show too. <laughs> I was gonna say that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I like yours better yeah. because now mine sounds terrible. <laughs> no, but, no, but, he has like this. <laughs> yeah, because it's kind of a it's kind of like what he because he's like, oh, is this just a black guy? Or he said something that's like I remember watching it recently and just being like, I don't know, he probably regrets doing that one, but. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure he does. I'm sure he does. Yeah. I, I actually yeah. totally defend his performance in the first Creep Show movie. A lot of people give him shit, and no, it's not great. Oh, yeah. But but I don't think it needs to be great because that's not really what that sequence is about. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, so I really kind of enjoy the, uh, him in that. Um, and you know, but The Raft is a is a Stephen King adaptation, and that is in Creep Show too. And boy, yep. is that like one of the better adaptations of a Stevie Wonder really uh, short story. I mean, it really yeah. captured what the story is like, and that's a pretty good collection mm-hmm. of stories. I believe is it in Nightmares and Dreamscapes, or is it in Graveyard Shift? It's in one of those. It's in. I it's in uh, Skeleton Crew. I think it's in. Um, is it in Skeleton is, Crew? Yeah, yeah. Skeleton. It's in oh. the. It's it's one Ooh. of the few really good ones in Skeleton Crew. That's like a ten out of ten because that story is yeah. just so terrifying. Um, yeah. Especially when lo- you. Go oh, God, yeah, like the guy gets drained, like gets pulled through the wood, and in the movie it takes place really fast, but in the book, he's like there for, I think hours they're pulling him through there, and it's just, yeah, they oh, they watch him God. dissolve slowly over time, which yeah. is like I love sentient slimes, and and that's ultimately one of the <laughs> ultimate sentient slimes is the raft. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, you know, going back to silver bullet really quick you know i absolutely adore that movie i i i think it's Mm -hmm. a lot of fun as well uh but you know uh it i always think of it and uh what's the one with the cat sleepwalkers like in the same light but i think uh but sleepwalkers isn't like the screenplay wise isn't as good uh, but it does have one of the c- most clever murders of any Stephen King movie ever. And, uh, it's re- and the reason why I was thinking about it is because I was doing this uh, whole theme for horror culture films that use plants as, as weapons or, or violent, like, you know, Nation mm. of Body Snatchers or the Stephen King thing from Creepshow. But the, the chick kills someone with a corn and a cob. <laughs> you know, <in> the eye. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Which, I always. I guess that's how I want to go. Yeah, exactly. I guess it comes back in like the secret window. I was just watching Secret Window over the over the weekend, oh, really? and I forgot that like Ooh. they like the part with Johnny Depp and like at the end when it's just like chewing on corn. It's just so without no pun intended. It's so corny. It's just like it's just ridiculous. Like, and <laughs> I, I and it's only just like a little tidbit in the um in the book that's actually adapted from, but um. I yeah, wonder if the, there's the a, like a whole montage of corn related Stephen King stuff. I think <laughs> you can find right? it because <laughs> yeah. it seems to come up a lot. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so uh, I always find interesting stuff like that. Um, let's see. I'm trying to think now. Um, let me ask you because our math. Awesome for our-
Oh. Hello? I think Liz dropped. She went all robot-y. Yeah, she was. Oh, no. It was her impression of Westworld. <laughs> hey, uh, I wanted to ask. Hi, well, hey. I could. Uh, I have a question. I was just curious if. Uh, go, Aaron, go ahead then. Keep it going. I was just curious about over, if he was worried about oversaturation. Oh, oh nice. yeah. I mean, I think I think that's that's definitely. I, I had um around the time. I think it was like 2018 or something like that early in 2018 or maybe late 2017. I wrote a, uh, just a piece that was talking about like, let's not screw up this Renaissance again. Cause like, it seems like every time Stephen King comes back in like the public consciousness, there's at some point it's just like the bubble burst and it just happens to be where you get these kind of like soulless adaptations. Um, and I don't, I don't think that's happened yet per se. Like, I mean, the dark tower definitely was, um, you know, a, a boil, but I think that it came at right, right before it. So a lot of people just were able to like kind of scrape that away and forget about it. Um, the only one that I feel so far in this whole Renaissance that has been like really polarizing was the recent Pet Cemetery remake. Like people either really loved it or they really hated that movie. And that was the first time I realized like, Oh wow. Like this could like, if they keep this up where there's going to be like polarizing movies like this, I don't know how long, it'll go, you know? Um, right. Yeah. So it's definitely a worrisome. Cause yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I, it just, it never ends. Like I, I'll, I'll write, I write film news at the, at COS. And so it's every other day, there's something going on where another, you know, another title is picked up for a TV show or, you know, a movie or they're doing some video game or something. It's just, it's crazy. Like, and I can't, and I, and I get it because, you know, Hollywood is just, like IP is the skeleton key for all of Hollywood right now, but oof, yeah, you're right. I mean, it right. could easily be oversaturated. You know, um, so that's definitely a worry. Well, but yeah, I, that's a that's a worry of mine too. I, you know, and I I actually did. Uh, Aaron had a question, I think, but I did I did actually really. Um, I actually gave the uh, uh, pets the new uh, Colchin Widmeyer. I like Starry Eyes a lot, and I really loved Me too. their pet cemetery. And um, I got shit for it for writing a good review for it. There was so Ooh. much negative comments. I had to quit looking at it, but yeah. whatever, you know how that goes. <laughs> oh, totally. Totally. I mean, that, that honestly, yeah. my, I mean, my co-host and my, my friend and writer, he, like, he gave it an A minus. He like loved it. And, um, and then like some of the other co-hosts of the podcast are just like ripping them apart. <laughs> I was like, Jesus guy, it's just a movie. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to ask, um, I know it's not thought of as a serious movie at all, but Maximum Overdrive <laughs> is a hell of a lot of fun. But I want to ask, is there, so, is there more to it than just a fun movie? Or should, you know, just throw all common sense and logic and everything else out the window and just enjoy the silliness? Yeah, I, I think... That one, that one's like one of my favorite late night, midnight movies. Um, I, I actually caught it on uh, Monster Vision with Joe Bob years ago, like year, like back in the nineties. Yeah. I, I had no idea what it was. Like I, I just remember waking up in the middle of the night. I was probably like twelve or thirteen, and I seeing like all these kids getting run over and like the vending machines going off. And I actually thought it was really frightening as a kid because like, as a kid, you're like you know, you see the point of view of all these other kids. You're like, Oh my God, kids are dying in this movie. That's wild. That never happens. And then all of a sudden it's like the concept of like your favorite things coming to kill you and the inevitability of it all. is just eerily eerie. But as an adult, um, there's definitely been like, there's definitely like, for me, there's a, um, 
<laughs> like I, it's like almost like a little bit test of like how long you can take with it because the only thing that kills it for me is just the ACDC like the nonstop ACDC really? like I love ACDC but like 90 minutes of it is just like I get like all right just can, can we just get okay. like a piano score or something like that <laughs> 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 uh, but it's fun, it is so fun. <laughs> yeah. that's the thing it's like it's you can't take it too like too seriously because it's literally just cars like with personalities coming back and killing every it's, it's ridiculous but yeah. um so I still have fun with it I definitely have fun with that movie for sure Hmm. Yeah. So when you, I I always get weirded out by um, what's her name? Yardley Smith, Lisa Simpson. Mm-hmm. Uh, seeing yeah. her in the <laughs> flesh is very confusing to my brain. Um, and really then is. hearing Lisa yeah. Simpson making make out smoochy sounds with her boyfriend and saying swear words makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I'm a delicate is, flower. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I agree. I 100 percent agree. <laughs> um, so I'm, here's the like question the I have. Name. Oh yeah, go for it. Go for it. Um, so as far as I know, the only stage adaptation that went to Broadway of Stephen King's was Carrie for a blessed eight days before it got shut down. Um, one, do you know of any others? And two, which one would you pick if it were up to you to debut on Broadway? Ooh, um, I know that Bruce Willis and um, – oh, my God, I can't believe I, I forgot her name. She was in Roseanne. She was a villain in Scream 2. Um, she was in Lady Bird. Oh, Laurie Metcalf. Uh, Laurie Metcalf. Yeah, Laurie Metcalf. Um, yeah, Laurie uh, – sorry, I just blanked, blanked for a second. Yeah, they, uh, they, they did Misery together, um, and it was – a one-off that William Goldman actually wrote it, um, and he had oh, adapted nice. the book for for the movie. And and uh, it's the thing is like if somebody sent us the video of it because uh, it was only like a, it was a one-off that was in L.A. It was really short. Um, and Bruce Willis is actually really great in it because he plays it really subdued and he just does his Bruce Willis thing that he does now, where he just sleepwalks through stuff. And um, and that works because Paul Sheldon's supposed to be comatose, so like it, that was good. But the problem is that like. Lori Metcalf plays it almost like um, like Mrs. Loomis in Scream 2, where it's just a little too much. Like, it, it, and I get it because it's for the stage and you have to kind of go bigger and better. But like, when you look at Kathy Bates' performance that's in that movie, and it's so like, you kind of have to like wonder like, well, no, she is kind of nice, but also, oh, I, she is actually really terrifying. Like the way that she's able to oscillate back and mm. forth with that is just that nuance is so key. And to go all in, it's almost like the Jack, it's like what people criticize The Shining for with Jack Nicholson, um, where, you know, they're like, oh, you know, he's too, he's too, he's already evil when you see him. That's kind of like the case with that one. But, um, but it was still, it's like a perfect play because it's all in one room. Yeah. So, right. You know, but I'd, I'd I'd actually really love to see like another crack at it, um, especially if they got, um, you know, to try different, you know, different actors out with it. But, um, you know, I, I still think that based on some of the um, some of the older older like novels, I think that oh God, I, I mean, I think even like The Shining could work as a as a play. Um, it, 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 it's hard because yeah. so much of it relies on like the atmosphere and everything. But right. you know, I, I think it could work if if someone is able to make like a really compelling script that deals more in the the humanity of things and so, sort of the cerebral nature of the horror um i think that could really work right. actually and, and i think I'd it would go. be a hit because it's like you know yeah right like it's it's the most no- yeah. notable like 
book. I, it just I feel like it would be a huge blockbuster if they did it. Um, so that would be yeah, awesome. I'm sure you're right. I'd yeah, that's a good that answer. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the head huntress is uh, unavoidably detained while her computer updates, but she will be back with us shortly. She asked me to ask what Stephen King that has yet to be adapted would you like to see adapted next as film or TV? Ooh. Um, you know, mm-hmm. they are – well, the fact that they're announcing The Long Walk is huge because that was a huge favorite um, among, like – all of us like on the, on the, on the podcast. Cause that's one of his lesser knowns for a while. Um, and Richard Bachman, you know, his pseudonym, it, it was like the, probably the best Richard Bachman book. Like, so I, I, I mean, I would, it, it is the best Richard Bachman book. So like I, the fact that that's actually happening, I'm bummed out that Frank Darabont couldn't do it. Cause that was like his passion project for a while. And he just, I don't know what happened to him, but he's just not doing it. And um, so now that, you know, the fact that they're, they're going to actually, it's going to happen is huge. Cause that was the one I've been waiting for forever. Um, I mean, I, I thought that the way that they did under the dome for the TV show was just awful. And I would still like to see like a one-off, you know, you know, because the the book is a flash. Yeah. Yeah. It was, was I was disappointed. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And, and then like, we still haven't really seen a real theatrical version of Salem's Lot. So like, that's why I'm kind of excited um, uh, I, I was excited, but you know, um, now that didn't Gary they Dauberman's just announce that they're going to be doing that one? Yeah, Gary Doberman is going to be uh, writing that one, so I'm kind of checked out a little bit already. But I was hoping that it would <laughs> been like, you know, somebody that 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 deals with a little bit more of like, um, there would be a little bit more plaintive than having like. You know, jump scare after jump scare because I know that's what they're going to do, and they'll probably have like CGI vampires and they'll yes. move really fast. Was and that's just a first Stephen King book I ever read. That was, I have a special place in my heart for that one. But one of my favorites that has not been adapted yet is Insomnia. I absolutely <sighs> yeah. love Insomnia, and I desperately want to see it in movie form. Yeah, that's and that has like um, that has like ties to the Dark Tower too. So that they there's um. That's a long book too. I, I wonder if that would be. I do wonder if it would work as a as a movie, or if it would be good as like a mini series. That's the thing that's so much fun about the the new format they have with this is that like you could do like I mean for example like The Outsider is going to be an HBO show and like that book's really long, and so if they made it like a limited series thing where so it's like good. six seven episode, that's awesome. Like that and like the same thing with BC Story, um, the fact that that's going to be like a mini series. Like I'm actually really interested in like seeing more of like the miniseries approach and, and and I almost wish going back like I loved the first it but that there's so mm. much in that book you know and so if they would have maybe done like a an eight episode or ten episode series or something like that but I think that would have been really compelling um, which is why I'm really excited to see what they do with um, which CBS All Access does with the stand next year because I, I think like it that could really be awesome um, and we could actually have like a really um I mean, I love the stand by Nicarus, so I, I can't really go too. I, can, I don't want to slam that one too much, but it would be cool to see like something that has like they can curse and they can have like violence on because that right. book is dark. So, you know, um, but it, it is kind of. I mean, look, there's so many that have been made. It's just wild that the very few that aren't that 
I mean, most of them have been like adapted, which is at least is big, you know, big hits. The '90s ones are still mm-hmm. a lot of them are still kind of sitting there. Oh yeah, I mean, there's Love still a ask. lot that hasn't been touched. Um, you know, yeah. Bag of Bones, Lindsay's story, um, and I did hear that I think Hulu is doing Eyes of the Dragon, aren't they? Yes. Yeah. Oh, good. I didn't know that. Like a children's show, I think, or. Uh, I think it. I don't think it's going to be animation. I think that they. Well, maybe it won't. No, no, they're going to try to. I think they're trying to try to mm. compete with Amazon because Amazon's going to be doing a lot of like fantasy stuff. So, um, yeah. I'm, I'm listening cool. to the audio book of that right now. That... Oh, Doom oh, McKee's another one. Doom McKee, I thought was really good, and um, I think that would work excellent as a movie. Yeah, I agree. I I think that I, I think that would actually work better as a movie than a book because like there's so much of it was visual and audio, like almost like um like like uh, audio sensory because of like the way that he hears like the bones in the night and um or like the way he hears the shore uh, wash up underneath like the house that he has and it sounds like bones and there's just so much in that book that's based on just like seeing as opposed to like even just kind of feeling what the, the, you know, the author's going through or the writer's going through in that. Um, so exactly. I, 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 and I, yeah, I, and I think sometimes just hearing something, not the visuals of something, is much more terrifying because it leaves a lot to yeah. the imagination. Mm-hmm. Totally. Totally. Yeah, and that's, and that's like a lesser one, like a lesser known one for his too because it, it came out like right at the time when he wasn't really he wasn't in like the public the public consciousness at that time like he was he goes in these gaps where like it you know people will go yeah i know stephen king but i'm really following him right now but like and that kind of dropped around the same time and so it would be it would be like a really cool one to do and that's those are like the ones that i'm most excited to see you know like i don't it's it's cool to see you know it was neat to see a different reimagining of Pet Cemetery, but I mean I really thought that the first one I mean Mary Lambert just like did everything right for me in that so I didn't really feel the need to like see another story when he has so many of them that that are out there and um, so yeah like if they could pull off the ta- talisman that would be awesome you know that that's another one because we haven't seen that you know it, it just they just keep keep going for the ones that haven't been touched because that's that'll be so cool. You know. Or especially in today's well, day and age of the Me Too movement, I think it would be mm-hmm. particularly powerful to see Rose Matter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean that whole that whole trilogy that he had um, around that time, like the fact that we that the fact that Gerald's Game um, came out at it's such a perfect time because it was it dropped like right during the the height of that for sure or like right in the beginning of of that for sure um and i think that's just such a strong story um in terms of like even just like for having him like have a female protagonist because you know for a while like you didn't really see that and i think that's kind of was his impetus for those books like to have like dolores claiborne and um rose matter and 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 Gerald's game and like that was like such a, a huge deal um because even even in the early 90s you can kind of tell that he was trying to pivot away from like everything he had done in the 80s and so that's why like the 90s works are so much more there's, there's a lot there's just very it, it was more you know, about like, the human condition than the supernatural yes yeah absolutely i agree 100 percent. and like and that's why like if they can tell these stories I mean, they're just sitting there. Like, I mean, there's nobody's done the girl who loved Tom Gordon. 
Um, nobody's, you know, the like the, I think they did Desperation, but I don't think it was very good. And I think they could probably do another adaptation of that. And, and yeah, that, that with the was regulators one of the miniseries. I think they did, did both the Desperation and the Regulators around the, uh, with the same character set, which I, I found interesting because the same characters are in both stories. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so that, that it would be really cool if they can pull pull that. I mean, the the most ideal thing that would have been amazing that we wanted, um, like right before all this stuff started happening, like 2014, we put together this ridiculous uh, <laughs> Stephen King cinematic universe. And it was like right when the Marvel thing happened. We're like, well, this guy created his own universe for 30, 40 years, and we cast everything, we put it all together, and if some if if someone was able to do that, that would have been great. Because it just I'm back to have, you know. Welcome hey. Back. <laughs> so I'm so hey sorry. Now. Oh my god, it, it was like the worst technical difficult. Blog talk is notorious for having bad tech. <laughs> but it not only did it lock me out, I couldn't even call in by remote on my phone. It thought I was still hosting. So it like would <laughs> oh let me God. back in. So thank you for being patient, sir. And um, thank you, sexy wishes, for holding the mantle for me while I was gone. You would not know how many expletives I was just Our yelling pleasure. right now. I have two computers <laughs> and I couldn't get either one to work, and then my phone wouldn't work. Okay, so thank you. And um, so where were we at? So we can close this up for the night. <laughs> I was talking about. Uh, I was actually going to ask if if uh, Mike thought there was uh, Stephen King that couldn't be adapted, that wouldn't. Ooh. A lot of people said that about the, the Dark Tower trilogy or, or the increasingly mm-hmm. misnamed Dark Tower trilogy. But um, <laughs> I was just wondering if you thought there was any that defied adaption. Yeah, I think, I mean, I, I'm still a little wary on how they are going to ha- handle the Dark Tower. I mean, I'm very... I feel very positive since it's going to be in the television medium. I think that's definitely the start and that's where it should have always been just because there's so much. But the truth is, is that, you know, he took so many liberties with, with regards to just pop culture references that to like really get the crux of the story, like they kind of have to ready player one this, like they need to like be able to get, like, like Dr. Doom and like the lightsabers and all this other stuff. So there's a lot of things in the book that, I mean, I guess you don't have to have it, but it did add a lot to the story when you had those moments. And like, I don't know if they have the rights to Salem's lot. So like, if they don't like, then there's a huge crucial character that's going to be in the dark tower series that you're not going to be able to have. So it's like, there's a lot of hurdles that I think that a lot of like that going into this this fantasy like you could easily excise but it's never going to be the same you know and so it's it's hard so i i think that's still the most daunting but um i think like i think there are definitely a few um that i'm i'm more curious about how they're going to do it like i'm really curious how they're going to do dr sleep because we we have this joke on the the, the we have we have this huge long running gag on the podcast about I think that because it's Warner Brothers and Warner Brothers owns the rights to The Shining by Stanley Kubrick, it's got to be like some sort of sequel to that because that's what the public knows. Like they don't really know the book, and the and the book Doctor Sleep mm-hmm. is so tied to the book of The Shining. So it's mm-hmm. I'm really interested to see how they kind of um, you know dance around that. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I, there's definitely like there's definitely some older short stories that I don't think could ever be adapted. Like the fact that the lawnmower man 
is a movie, even though it has nothing to do with the short story. The short story is yeah, literally nothing. Or like, oh. <laughs> um, uh, and the same thing with it did give us a like, really good episode of Rick and Morty. I will say that. Yeah. Seriously. <laughs> yes. So I will yeah. say right now, I have pretty much every confidence in Michael Flanagan at this point as a director, because everything mm-hmm. he's so done do is, is really, even his earlier work, which was had problems with budget constraints, I think there's some really good character work and all of his stuff, and you have to have good character work to have a successful Stephen King adaptation. So, uh, you know, and, and the people are in the right spot. And honestly, I'm not a huge fan of Gerald's game, but the movie, the movie was pretty darn good, and I thought it was a pretty really yeah. faithful yeah. adaptation as well. Uh, so oh, yeah. um, so I, I, I have a lot of hope for Dr. Sleep, but I can see where you think the obscurity – of the reference might be lost on the larger audience. I can see where you'd think that. Yeah. And I think that I agree with you with the, in terms of the character building, because he's so good at that. I mean, like the haunting of Hill house is so phenomenal last year. Oh my and gosh. Was, wasn't gosh. the storm, which is awesome. episode six. It's the one right after Bentley, like yeah. which everyone loves that episode, mm-hmm. but episode six, the storm, I think is one of yep. my secret favorite episodes of TV last year. I mean, it was just, yeah, Phenomenal an execution phenomenal. in every way possible, and and uh, I loved it. Shot, right? Yeah, or that's the one with the one continuous like, take yeah. in the house. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah. but also the conversation. But, but it's not just that; it it's the conversations and the funeral. You know, I went through a, yeah. um, a death like that in my family, where the worst came out of everybody because somebody who died, who everybody loved, died, and he was the connection. Mm-hmm to uh, our family. So even though what they were saying to each other wasn't what happened in my life, what the, how they were saying it to each other and, and the way they were reacting to each other hit me so close to home. I kept falling through that entire episode. I couldn't handle it. Uh, yeah. So I'm looking forward to Dr. Sleep and hoping, cause I don't, I'm not, I, I tend to agree with McGarris in the sense that I love the Kubrick film too. Uh, Stanley Kubrick, you know, he made a handful of amazing movies, right? Uh, you know, yeah. uh, I, I think there's still room for this story and for The Shining, mm-hmm. because it wasn't such a faithful adaptation of the original story. Yeah. Uh, so I think there's room for it. But uh, any final words, sir, about adaptations? And then we're going to do one final question and head out for the night, sir. So what what would you like to say about Stephen King? And if they were going to deep dive into, like, adaptations, what would be your gateway drug in this case, other than the body? Um... I guess, like for me, it's 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 really just being um, as loyal to his characters as much as possible. Like if it's if I feel as if you've if they've been able to kind of really capture just what really is the essence of like a Stephen King character, like that's enough for me because characters what draws me into every one of the stories. And if if an adaptation doesn't have that, it's useless to me. Like I just I can't I just I can't relate to it as much. So any any of them that like really grab those characters are, are awesome. Now the, the twist to that is that some of his books don't have great characters. So you know it really depends on the right marriage there. But uh, for me, it's yeah. If if you got some good leads there, then I'm, I'm in usually. Because the rest I'm of always the movie, like so. his bet his best movies have the best characters and the best books also. Yeah. So. 
Uh, thank you for coming on and talking, Stephen King. Uh, before we leave tonight, though, I did want to mention that we lost two icons of music, and we're actually going to have a special episode on one particular on Thursday. We're going to talk about Dr. John, because Dr. John meant a lot to me. Yeah. Uh, I got to meet him and Mitch Mitchell and a few other people, um, and he's got a lot of connections to my my family. And um, also, Bushwick Bill passed of the Ghetto Boys, and I was wondering if you had yeah. any opinions or feelings Whoops. about those guys before we leave, since you are the music expert of our group here. Yeah, you know, it's just I, I have to. I usually write the majority of uh, the opits um, on the on the site when when they come because I always just feel as if whenever I have a shift, it just happens to be that someone passes, and it's it's usually a very chaotic moment where you just can't really relate to it. You know, even when Anthony Bourdain passed last year, it was I couldn't really even like, you know, really um, stomach it or even like process it until like hours have gone by. Cause you just get this like kind of high, like, all right, we got it. We got to get this out. We have to get this out. So yeah, it's, 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 it's kind of wild how, how much these happen in succession too, you know, like one, there's a major death and then usually within three or four days there's another one. And I don't know what it is, why that happens, but it's wild that you have two huge, insanely big legends with respective to their genres happen within like the past week, you know, and, well, and then even with in the, the last the two weeks, weeks with Rocky you know. Well, we lock Rocky Erickson and Leon Redbone yeah. as well, who Dr. John collaborated with on a regular basis. So we lost yeah. so many icons of music in the last three weeks. I mean, it's yeah. really sad. Uh, but we, we decided, yeah, we, I, I'm such a huge fan of Dr. John that I decided that because um, when Carrie Fisher passed, I had to have a separate episode. And so I decided to do one for Dr. John this time. So if you're welcome to call in or listen on Thursday and, uh, that oh, that'll be Thursday, yeah. which is the 13th. I'll give you details off air later on that. Uh, and Steve and Raven are going to join me on that one. So, and as well Ooh, as a musician named Asriel Mordecai, he's a metal bassist we'll out of upstate. So uh, it'll be awesome. Cool, but thank you, sir. And of course, we know no, your consequence you. of sound taught net, Mr. Rothman. But where, tell me where they can find your podcasts as well, because. I'm researching Stephen King, so I'm definitely going to listen to your podcast this summer. Oh, please do! And if you ever want to um, hop on, please, please, uh, you know, hit me up because uh, all of you are so you know, huge Stephen King fans. You have so much to talk about, so we'd love to have you on. But yes, you can find us yeah. at the Losers Club, a Stephen King podcast uh, on Apple Podcasts, wherever you find podcasts on Spotify, wherever it is. Um, and you can find us on the uh, Club podcast on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. So we're always uh, bringing the quote unquote fresh content as we joke around all the time. So, yeah. Fantastic. So, yeah. thank you, Michael, for being on the show. And, and sorry no, about the technical difficulty again, <laughs> but I'm glad my sexy no, witches are now getting used. They, they can hold up my weight. And that's why we're all co hosts here. The Sexy Witch panel is badass. So, thank you for being on the show as well as my sexy witches. We're out of time, ladies and gentle witches. So, I'm going to let everybody go in a minute. So, good night, sexy witches. Good night. Good night, Mr. Rockman. Good night. Good night. And we're going to leave you tonight with the top number one hit on the country music and rap chart simultaneously. How does that happen? Old Town Road with Billy Ray Cyrus and Little Nas X. Good night, everyone. Blessed being good Good film hunting.
Oh, shit. 